The teenagers of Springwood are being plagued with horrible nightmares. They are all dreaming of a horribly burned man in a red and green sweater, a dirty hat, and a glove with razors welded on. Soon the nightmares prove to be fatal as teenagers start dying in their sleep in nightmarish ways, all at the hands of a burned man they learn is named Fred Krueger. In the film that put New Line Cinema on the map and turned Wes Craven into horror royalty, this is A Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Caleb Jose. I'm Christian Aguilar. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the 199th episode of the Filmgasm podcast. We're so tantalizingly close to the end of our gauntlet with next week's 200th episode. Caleb and I are joined today by the team's newest contributor, Christian Aguilar, who you may remember from past episodes on Jeepers Creepers and The Orphanage. Thanks for joining us today, Christian. Of course. <laughs> uh, before we get into Freddy, I've got two fun updates on the Rewind. Both of these updates are trailers for upcoming sequels. First up, we've got the trailer for Jeepers Creepers Reborn, the first entry in the franchise to be out of the hands of convicted pederast Victor Salva. Release date is September 19th. And uh, what do you guys think of this one? You want to take your question first? Yeah, or... yeah. No, since we kind of, uh, yeah, since the last, my debut with Jeepers Creepers, uh, I was really excited to see, as we all know, the third one definitely sucked. Um, and so when I saw that this one was coming out, I was really hoping that with, you know, Victor Salvo being out of the picture um, and kind of moving forward, it's definitely a good start to kind of repairing this franchise. Um, I think this, with a lot of this new generation, uh, you know, these people probably are not too familiar with Jewish Creepers. So I think this will be a good fresh start on it um, and hopefully get some more cool lore behind the Creeper and kind of seems like the direction they're going with to kind of build even more of the backstory. Um, I'm excited. Uh, some of the recalls and things like that uh, that have been coming out recently, surprisingly uh, have kind of caught my attention and kept it. Um, no, but I have high hopes. So I'm going to give it a shot. No, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same camp. Um, you know, I'm real happy that they were able to wrestle this out of Salva's hands. I know he like, he pretty much owned it. So it was, it was a hassle getting it away from them. Um, and then, you know, they got, there was a moment where we didn't know if you we were getting it this year. They dropped like a 15 second teaser to announce the movie. And then all of a sudden no release date. And there was apparently a legal issue with the original company, company i think trying to sue for some reason for whatever contract they were trying to you know pull um but it looks like it, it you know it cleared they can finally move forward and you know I, you know i'm sure there'll be the fans that just you know long time ones that just won't do it and you know that's unfortunate but again I, I get it you do you but i will definitely it looks really good to me i'm very excited to see what they can do away from that uh you know the original director, how they can keep bringing this, keep this franchise going. Um, I think they got the same actors to play the Creeper. I believe, I think they kept him, thankfully, because he is really good in that role. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited to see what they're going to do with this. It looks like a lot of fun. I like, I really like that trailer. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm glad that people like, you know, studios are actively trying, at least in this case, trying to separate the, the monsters from the work getting rid of the pedophile's asshole who was in control of this franchise, but keeping the films alive. Because as I've often said, the film itself has done nothing wrong. 
So, and I love the idea of like a horror cosplay thing going on while the creepers just walking around. <laughs> that was a, that was a really cool addition to, to I hope to this movie. It's gonna I think it's gonna be neat. Yeah, I like I like that and the fact that it looks like you know, it's like a haunted house with the creeper. Like they they wander into his territory because we in three films we never really seen it. It's always been his truck and him. So they know that like yeah this is going on. And then they wind up inadvertently into his house and he's just picking them off one by one. Yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic. I, one thing I am worried about, I hope it's not going to be like difficult to find and I hope it gets a, a decent release. Cause I, I really want to see it. Same. Uh, I know with three, when Salva was attached, it had like a weird, like one night, two night only event and then went to VOD. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this is what happens with this. Because they have been kind of cagey still about how it's like, hey, here's the date, but is it theaters? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I won't be surprised if that is what happens. And I'll, you know, at the end of the day, I'll take it. At this point with this film, I'll take it. I would obviously, like I've kind of been saying, what you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, whenever Evil Dead Rise and the new Hellraiser come out, like all, you know, the upcoming, you know, Prey coming out soon. Yeah, I would love to be able to see these on the big screen. Like, these are things I grew up with as a kid. We all kind of grew up, I should really say, we all grew up with as kids. And in some cases, you know, we didn't get to see on the big screen. Sometimes we did, depending on the franchise and just where we were at, right? But sometimes we didn't. And, you know, great on one end, it's great getting it at home because we are getting a new film. We are getting something to watch, and that's awesome. At the same time, I do miss, like, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or, um, like, so these upcoming films I mentioned, I will. I do still miss a little bit of that fact of being able to go to the theater and see them on the big screen. No, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Uh, I had gotten the excited feeling with like the first Halloween requel, and so that really did it to me. Where I felt so excited to be in a theater to actually see this type of style of horror movie, uh, kind of different from the A twenty four stuff and all of that. Uh, that's kind of more of that traditional horror. Um, and I get like, since that Halloween movie, I've been so excited, but it's been so difficult to actually go and see it in the theater. I think that's such a whole experience that's such, and it's like tied into viewing a horror movie is actually viewing it in a theater where you're able to experience it as it's meant to be viewed. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of that, actually, I saw um, on Twitter that uh, Bruce Campbell was interviewed at Comic-Con about Evil Dead Rise. And he said that the, uh, the, the original the test screenings were so positive that now they're looking at a possible theatrical release. That's what's holding it up a, tra- a trailer. I was wondering why this trailer is. Yeah. Okay. So that, that, ex- I, I about say, I read a Comic Con interview he did today as well. Same one, but he talked about doing, they're talking about doing an animated continuation of Ash, for, Ash versus Evil Dead. <laughs> um, cool. Which would be awesome. But okay, that explains, because that and Hellraiser are like the only two men where I've just been like, what is like, you're dated these for this year like they're both slated for this year where's a trailer at some point but that makes sense if they are if that's what's holding it up and they're trying god how badass would that be if like they can pull off halloween ends and give it a rise in october oh my god um <laughs> but now the question is what about hellraiser is it the same deal like it's actually testing positive or are they just holding you know cards to the to the chest like what's going on with that one now <laughs> i don't know i will find out um, I, get, I get one answer and then I have more questions for another movie. <laughs> but that leads into our next update. We got our first teaser for Halloween Ends, the finale of David Gordon Green and Danny McBride's Halloween trilogy that began in 2018. Release date on this is October 14th. What do you guys think of 
what we've seen of Halloween ends so far. I'll be frank. I have not seen the trailer yet, so I will let Caleb speak on this. Uh, fair enough. Uh, for the most part, I'm excited. Um, I do think this is the trilogy that's been mostly the same storyline for three films. Um, so, you know, we're having the, the third ultimate battle, battle. But between that, it looks like they're not going to hold back. They're not going to pull any punches. This is a, you know, mono-e... I try trying to think of the female term because I don't want to be sexist here. Well, you know, you know what I mean. It's still mono, mono and mono is still, <laughs> still mono, inclusive, mono. don't worry. <laughs> Counts? Okay. Well, Lori versus Michael, you know, the final showdown. This is for sure Jamie Lee Curtis's final time playing the character. She's yeah. made that very clear. Um, so, you know, seeing these two go at it one, for the final time on the big screen is very exciting to me. I'm curious on what they do. And, you know, obviously, James Jude Courtney as, as Michael, he has won me over big time in the past two films. So, I'm overall, I'm, I'm honestly excited. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm excited to see how this all ends before we get the inevitable next installment from someone else. <laughs> I'm down. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed these big time. Halloween 2018, it's, it, it might be my favorite one, honestly. I, I love the first one, but there's something so visceral and just angry about 2018's Halloween in terms of like Michael that I just fucking adore. And, uh, I enjoyed Kills, too. I know a lot of people didn't, but I had no beef with Halloween Kills. I thought it was an enjoyable film. I loved, I thought the kills were cool. I, I loved Burned Michael just ripping his way through Haddonfield. Like, it was exactly what I wanted. Uh, I, I like seeing Evil Dice a lot because of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> All the comments in the Halloween's End trailer on YouTube were like, nobody said Evil Dice tonight. <laughs> and just making fun of that. It should have just said it ends tonight or something in the trailer. Just a nice little, like, you know, wink, wink. But it's, uh, I think it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm going to be there opening night. I'm very much looking forward to this. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to end with Michael killing Lori and just disappearing into the fog somewhere. Maybe you also had a theory you told me about Nope, and you were wrong about that when we went to go see the movie. Yeah, I was wrong, but also like, <laughs> what it was was I couldn't have predicted that shit. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. I haven't seen. I'm yeah. seeing it. Oh, no, Thursday, don't say it. I'm but... just gonna say this. I, I I was right. That's all I'm gonna say. I I end up being right. Your points. <laughs> it was just a satisfying moment to, for me. Halloween ends comes out October 14th. I know we are doing a Halloween film that week on the show. Uh, we could either go in order and do Halloween three season of the witch, or we could revisit Halloween kills. We'll figure it out before we get there. Yes. So that's off the rewind. Now, what do you guys think of a nightmare on Elm street? worst horror no i'm kidding it's one of the greatest horror films um from one of the greatest you know directors one of my personal favorite horror directors in russ craven um and this is it's one of his best like he's just minus like the tack uh the very clearly tacked on ending but we'll get more into that in the uh development um that wasn't exact i'll just say this much it wasn't craven's ideal um other than that this is a superb film um he you know he actually, the more I watch it, I forget how little Freddy's in the film, but because of Craven's direction and England's performance, he makes such a huge impact. 
the the very low on the phone. And yeah, this is just one of the best, a gold standard, in my opinion, of AD slashers right up there. You know, obviously Friday 13th to an extent Halloween. I mean, they didn't even get a proper Michael movie really until Halloween 4, 1988, which always kind of cracks me up. There was two, that was, but that was also just trying to, copy off the success of Friday 13th then they did the whole thing with a three and then it died until 88 I don't know why it took so long to just get a new movie out um but yeah it's I mean there's a reason Freddy's an icon and the fact that this is scary Freddy not let me crack joke smile a minute Freddy no Kale, I'm glad that you said that because yeah there's definitely two distinct sort of Freddy's in my head and this is like still the scary Freddy to me um this is like, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but like sort of the movies that we grew up with, this was definitely one of those movies that I grew up with. Uh, I remember being scared of the Will Smith song. If y'all know the Will Smith song of, uh, yeah. A Nightmare, Nightmare on My Street. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I remember like out of all the Halloween songs, that one always scared, scared me, you know, just because of the association. Um, no, but I think, yeah, Wes Craven was like in his bag for this movie. He really all the things that he does great in other movies, it's really exem- exemplified the most. Um, the practical effects, they're like still to this day hold up. Um, and then looking at the development of these things, it's crazy that they're able to pull this off in the 80s. Um, and sort of the backstory kind of behind the process even making this movie. Uh, definitely one of the best horror movies, in my opinion. Um, probably the best out of all the franchises out of the 80s, in my opinion, for opening movie um i will say for the first movie this is arguably probably the best of any franchise um yeah i will say those iconic scenes of like the the glove in the in the bathroom and then uh you know him popping out of the wall like they still hold up um to this day so definitely excited for this one yeah this is a this is a, a pretty perfect 80s horror film i mean it does you know, it introduces a new icon to the world. You know, somebody who's so different from Jason and Michael. You know, he's not the he's not the to quote Tony Soprano, the strong silent type. He's he's a goofy asshole who gets off on this. It's he's crazy, but you love him. And you know, Robert England kills it literally. Uh, speaking on the the song i find it kind of funny that these days i think people are more afraid of will smith than they are of freddy krueger <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um, but, uh, well, i love that, get for that one <laughs> the the thing i love most about this film is are the scenes where you aren't aware that people are, are dreaming when freddy just shows up and you're like oh shit they're asleep I love that. I love the, the false sense of security you get, especially, you know, Nancy in the bathtub when Freddy's claw just comes up. You're like, oh, shit. Or when the phone turns into Freddy's mouth. It's like, what? Like, you just, it, you don't see it coming, and it's just there. It's, it's, it's great. It's, this really showed Craven's ability to work on such a low budget. This is only like a million bucks. And what he was able to do, like, with a low budget and also a studio that nearly went bankrupt trying to make this movie happen, like, everybody won in such a great way with this. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad because I think without Elm Street, I don't know if Craven would have been able to be as, you know, iconic as he was. I mean, up to that point, he'd had, you know, Last House on the Left, Hills Have Eyes, Swamp Thing, but Elm Street put him on a completely different level. <laughs> and yeah, well, I mean, I'm, yeah. 
It, it, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with that. Because um, to me, what makes Craven, one thing I've always found so special about Wes Craven is that between the 70s and the 90s, he had a huge, he had something huge each decade. You know, in the 70s, he had the one, two of Last House and Hills Have Eyes. Um, which, yeah, I know for like probably most people outside of horror fans don't know those films as well as Nightmare or Scream, right? Yeah. And granted, they both got remade, so people are aware of them. And actually, both remakes are very solid. Um, I, I, I told people, like, if you want a good remake, Last House on the Left knows about both solid remakes. Um, but you know, he had that one two punch. And then he had in the 80s, obviously, when we're talking about right now, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then when we've talked about in the 90s, Scream. This guy just he could hit. Now, granted, admittedly, when he missed, he missed very hard. But uh is it my vampire in Brooklyn is not one of your favorite movies? I like nope. Vampire in Brooklyn, but yeah. Yeah. Um I was thinking more along the line of like my soul to take, but uh cursed. That was his lowest uh, point, in my opinion. Cursed. That's fair. But uh when he hit on the other side of that, when he hit, he hit very hard. It was like it was like no in between with him. It was either he did fucking, you know, it was on one end or did fuck. It was either Hills of Ice two with dog having a memory sequence, or Nightmare on Elm Street. Like it's just like I don't know. Like the guy could fucking hit when he wanted to, and thank God. I mean, I still even with that, because I'm one of the best horror directors we've ever been graced with in the genre. Um, you can I I would. St- to this day, clearly remember that text you sent me, Connor, and getting very emotional that day when the when the news hit. Yeah, that he passed. Um, it was one of those few celebrities that actually really, really got me. It uh, he he was a big part of my development as a horror fan. His movies and it, it, it meant a lot and hurt a lot to hear that he was gone. Yeah, we've covered quite a few of his films at this point. I know we've covered the first three Scream movies here. We did The Serpent and the Rainbow, Austin and I, a long time ago. And we did that sneak preview where we ranked all of his work. So I feel like I've talked about Wes Craven like the most out of any filmmaker on all these shows. Like, and I like that. I think it's cool that he's the guy. Yeah. And he was, yeah, he's just, he was just an awesome director. I know um, just the way when you saw him in interviews, you know, he never, I, I know he got various points. He tried to get out of the genre and I get that. He didn't want to get pigeonholed as director, but uh even then, still, you know, he never disrespected the genre. He never disrespected the fans. If you ever saw him in interviews, he was always just so well educated, very thoughtful in what he was saying. Like he he approached his horror films and horror in general with just a smart perspective, mainly because he didn't really go to school to be a film director. He went for something else completely, and you could tell in his interviews. And Pideway still we went to school for it, really into his movies. Um, so it was just like he was really he to me was just a special talent. And, you know, when it comes to, like, probably top five, you know, it's always, like, between him and John Carpenter, when it comes to, like, my top favorite horror directors, like, those guys are just neck and neck to me when it comes to, like, just titans of this genre. Yeah, straight up. Uh, Christian, anything you want to add? No, I completely agree. You really you really hit it home there with Caleb. When I heard the news that he had uh, died, I was so, like, shocked because I think it kind of, it really closes the gap. Like we grew up with these movies, like my parents, you know, grew up watching these movies when they came out and then seeing it when, you know, as a kid, um, you kind of take for granted that these directors are still around and that they're able to still to contribute, you know, and 
yeah, I think it really hits on that. Hey, we're never going to have anyone like this again. These properties, these things that come up, you know, these are classics and, you know, it's never going to be replicated. So it makes you really appreciate, uh, you know, the, the, the things that you grew up that gave you so much good memories. And so I'm like holding on to Robert England with all my heart. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, seeing people get up in their, like, get up in their ages, uh, you know, you always kind of hold your breath a little bit. Uh, but now I definitely agree. Yeah, with these guys, I always think, you know, don't be sad that they're gone. Be happy they were here yeah. and enjoy the work that we that we get to have forever. So that's always, you know, the positive I take away from this is like their legacy will live forever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and anything, right, where it's being horror, you know, movies, music, um, books, whatever, anything like that. You know, we're kind of, I'm kind of seeing it now in the metal world, for example, with Pantera. You know, they announced that the two surviving members are getting back together, getting two other people in to go on tour as Pantera next year. And, you know, this is a band that hasn't been active since 2000, and two of the members are dead, and yet they're so, such a strong base for that music the legacy has lived on regardless of two of the ones being gone that they're like hey let's get back together and let's give people what we came on well the two members are at least still around yeah yeah great example yeah i think with uh with nightmare specifically like you still see the influence like the stranger things like that has gripped an entire generation of you know hopefully new horror fans and to see robert england and the direct influence that the duffer brothers had um you know, with Wes Craven. And I think it's, it's awesome to see, to go back to the roots and be like, Hey, there's no Vecna. There's none of that without, you know, Robert England and Freddie. True. Very true. Um, so let's get into how, like, or where scary did... Terry or scary, yeah, or scary Terry. <laughs> I had to, I had to say it. Uh... <laughs> That's great. I forgot about scary Terry. Um, so Craven, this didn't just pop into Wes Craven's head, the idea for Elm Street. Uh, an interesting series of events came about that inspired this. And I was, I always love to find out like where amazing ideas come from. You know, it's, it's very rarely just like lightning strikes your brain sometimes. It's almost always like something happens that leads you to think, hmm, Freddy Krueger. And that's, that's crazy. So this is what happened. The idea for Elm Street came to Wes Craven after he read an article about a group of Cambodian, Laotian, and Vietnamese refugees who escaped the rampant genocide of uh, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge and fled to the United States. Do you guys know about the Cambodia genocide? A little bit, not too much. Yeah, a little bit about Pol Pot and all that. Basically, he was just killing anybody he deemed inferior, and hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people were killed. It was a horrific nightmare in Asia. Um, these why refugees. So many, like, why is there, especially in around that area of the world, there's so many stories of like genocides like this happening. Like Miss Marvel recently attacked a whole genocide thing, um, on its on its show. People in power, and an actual one. It wasn't fake. It was from... No, yeah, the partition. When people, when psychos get into power and they have access to kill people they don't like, they're going to do it, and they constantly do it. We've seen this in, you know, obviously, you know, the Holocaust. There was the Armenian genocide, there's Pol Pot, there's Mao's China. Like it happens all the fucking time. It's really twisted. It's happening right now in Ukraine. Yeah, mostly right now in Ukraine. Yeah. But Craven heard about this. These refugees who escaped fled the US and they were suffering such horrible nightmares that they refused to go to sleep. 
And people who did end up sleeping, a lot of them died in their sleep from these nightmares. And this phenomenon became known as Asian death syndrome, which I think is a terrible name for this. Uh, and it fascinated Craven. I mean, the idea that you could have a nightmare so severe and horrifying that it killed you. I mean, what the fuck? That's how, how do you fight something like that? You can't. It's and what did they see? That's the that's another thing. Like, what is what do you see in your head that's so terrifying it literally kills you? That's what I want to know. Because I've look, I've had terrifying nightmares as a kid before. I have one that's still seared in my brain um, from the potential haunted house I grew up in. Um, yeah, I think I told you that one, Connor. Um, I oh, wonder yeah. if this safe was actually a, a nightmare or not. Um, but uh, I haven't, you know, I haven't got it hasn't gotten to that point. So that's like I don't know the idea of that. Like you die in your sleep from a nightmare. Like what are you dreaming of? Yeah, I think it also kind of feeds into themes in the movie where you really see that Craven is manipulating as the audience. Like you're manipulating what's reality and what's a dream. You you know, and times in the movie you're not able to tell the difference. And so for these people, you know, that suffered that, the blurred lines between your worst nightmare imaginable and actually living that, like and that must be so insane for them to have gone through that. So you're not able to tell that difference, uh, or you don't want to be able to tell the difference that hey, you know what you saw in real life was you know, worse than the worst thing you could ever see. Yeah. When you've lived through actual horrors, what is horror to you anymore? Like your brain has to almost like overcompensate to scare you in a nightmare when you've seen hell itself. Yeah. That's fuck. (laughs) It's profound and terrifying. I don't like to think about it. And Craven handled it very well. Unlike the Godforsaken 2010 remake that tried being like, well, micro naps, like, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna get there we're gonna we're gonna talk about that for sure yeah <laughs> so at, with this i took a nap earlier today that matters on these micro <laughs> <laughs> with this in mind craven then heard the song dream weaver by gary wright and you combine nightmares with 80s pop song and you get a nightmare on elm street <laughs> so it's a- it's kind of funny because I mean, technically, it's almost like a, a, you know, foretelling the future of this franchise when you know you had rock bands like Dawkins and stuff making songs for it, and like there's hip hop songs or Freddie, like in a weird way, it's kind of like a foretelling the future of the franchise. Yeah, it, all the pieces are here for you know to branch out, and amazingly, Craven was like, "Nah, we're good with one," but Shay's <laughs> like, "No, millions." I see, I see a rap album in. My- in Freddy's future, <laughs> which we're going to talk about. That that is fucking crazy. <laughs> I love when fictional yeah. characters release like albums and books. Like I'm at, I was at Barnes and Noble, and there was a novel by Richard Castle. Richard Castle is the main character of the series Castle. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. My mom used to watch that show. Yeah. Like somebody, I, I, I somebody. Watched wrote, it that I, was hot. Hmm? I only watched it with her half the time because I thought Stana Caddick was hot. Besides that, I did not actually really like that show. Isn't that show supposed to be based? Oh, no. Bull is based on Dr. Phil. Sorry. It's the same genre of weird show, but Bull, yeah, that's Dr. (laughs) Phil, apparently. I didn't know that. But somebody actually makes this stuff, but fictional characters get credit for it. Like, I I looked at the book. It's a full-length, like, 300, 400-page novel written by Richard Castle. The author photo is fucking Nathan Fillion. Like, (laughs) How, can you imagine, like, I would be so pissed if I put time and effort into this and a fake person got the credit. 
Yeah, I'd be like, well, if I'm not getting paid, then fuck yourself. But I just find that's a fascinating phenomenon I just love looking into is like, like, uh, you know, the movie My Cousin Vinny with Joe Pesci? Yeah. He released a Christmas album as like Vinny, <laughs> like Vinny singing Christmas tunes. It's not Joe Pesci singing Christmas tunes. It's Vinny. Yeah. God, you remember um, his rap albums? His rap song is pretty good, too. Yeah. <laughs> you remember when uh, we watched all the hatchet movies? Mm hmm. Do you remember the fourth one when that character's going on the book tree has the book? Yeah. If you get on air, this one, I, 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 I'm actually fine with because they did it themselves. Um, but if you're on the Aeroscope website, they sell the book, ran as his character. I have it. It's in my collection. I'll have to show it one day. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, you, and it's signed and everything by him. That's amazing. Like, that's so much work for, you know, I've written books. Writing books isn't fucking easy. And somebody did it for a gag. That's that's Adam impressive. Green. Adam Green had some time on his hands. He's like, you know what? I'm going to write this book to tie in with the movie and release it to the fans. That's incredible. Um, so, yeah, that's we're going to talk about Freddy's rap album down the road. The character of Freddy Krueger. Where did he come from? One of the most iconic movie characters of all time. This came from an incident in Craven's youth. And I find this really funny because this doesn't sound particularly scary it might have been just the way my my source worded it but basically when craven was a child an old guy walked past his house the guy stopped looked at west craven scared him a little and the guy just walked away so west craven saw an old guy and it never left his head he, ba- well, he based I, I, the look after this old guy I, I do think there's more to that. I think if I recall it correctly, he was like peeking out his window. So the guy's trying to see him, like the lights were off. It was night. The guy's trying to see him. And the guy's walking and just stopped and like like directly stared at him. I think like actually approached his door. Okay, that's a way better that's a way better story than the one I found. Yeah, I think like he like even was a kid too. That was the thing. It wasn't like a like he was a kid. No. And I think like the guy approached his door to like freak him out. And Craven got like really fucking scared, and then the guy just walked away. Okay, so he's probably casing the joint or something. Kid saw him, and he's like, "Oh shit!" and he ran. All right, that's that's, that's just, that makes more sense. The name yeah, this isn't the name also come from his childhood too, right? Yeah, I got that right here. This is great. So the name came from a bully Craven used to have to deal with, and the bully's name was literally Fred Krueger. <laughs> like he didn't even change it a little bit. <laughs> he immortalized some dickhead who used to fuck with him. As Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Imagine that school reunion too, dude. Having to go and meet up with everybody and say, hey. <laughs> but isn't, I mean, I'm surprised the guy didn't like try to sue him. Like for, you know, it's my name. I don't know. Can you do that? Craven just bullied him back. He, yeah. pulled, he gave him a wedgie, a swirly. Maybe that's why Freddy turns into such a goofy asshole. Because like, he's like. Well, that, maybe the guy was like, oh, that's cool. I'm like one of the scariest monsters in horror now. And Craven's like, well, we're not fucking having that. And so <laughs> he made him a, a joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, you think he's just like, so let me put like, fuck you, Fred. Throughout the movie, just like, he has never let it go. Well, he even before that, you know, the bad guy in the last house on the left is named Krug. So like, this has been in his head his whole life. <laughs> What's that bully do to him? Jesus Christ. I couldn't find details, but he was just like constantly harassed by this kid. And it, it stuck with him enough for him to just pop up randomly in his work. 
as the, the asshole. He'd whistle behind him, welcome to my world, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to prime time, bitch. That's great. Even the sweater had a deeper purpose. According to Scientific American, red and green are the two colors that are most clashing to the human retina. It just looks somewhat uncomfortable to the human eye, red and green, which I guess is why so many people are depressed at Christmas. And he was... Well, it was hmm? well see, that probably has to do with the fact that uh, I think if I recall correctly, Craven went to college for psychology is what he went to college for. He did not go for film. That explains um, quite a lot, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I'm sure that's... he. And that's why I say he applied a lot of that psychology learning he got to his films. Um, so that makes sense with the story. I'm sure that's something he picked up on going through class or he just looked up because he seemed to be a very astute, like I said, a very astute, smart individual in interview. So I'm sure, you know, that's how that happened. Well, the original color scheme was going to be red and yellow, but he, he read in Scientific American. It's like red, people don't like red and green. He's like, hmm. So he made it red and green. And yeah, it was a good call. I think Freddie and yellow would look weird. That's a, that's a weird contrast. Red and green just seems right. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like puke. It's always looked like puke to me. It's like the red and green. I think the red and yellow would have left him a little bit more like Ronald. That's yeah. McDonald's collab <laughs> later down the line. But uh, I don't know. He just gets really pissed off when this film comes out. Have a Big Mac, bitch. Like yeah, I would I would love a Freddy McDonald commercial. That would be amazing. Yeah, Robert England needs his own his own meal. That's the celebrity meal we need. Oh, yeah. So eventually, you know, everything fell into place, but he still had trouble selling the script. Uh, he started writing this after he finished production on Swamp Thing in 1981. Don't care for Swamp Thing. I think it's kind of a terrible movie uh one of our early episodes i did i did with josh and i think austin was on that one too but yeah swamp things shit <laughs> just wanted to actually like swamp thing it's just it looks so cheap the bad guy like it, it turns into he, he, like at first it's just um uh forget the guy's name lewis something i don't remember oh lewis jordan that was his name He's the bad guy and he's a fine bad guy. And then he gets splashed with some shit at the end and he turns into like an ape guy, but it's just like a, like a really shitty rubber mask and like a black jogging suit. It's so funny. It's like, clearly they ran out of money. I'm, I'm, I'm look, I'm still mad that the really good Swamp Thing show, yeah. Derek Mears, because DC fucked around with the production or whatever, the, he ever fucked around with production. They canceled it before the first season even aired. Not because the, it was getting bad reviews or it ended up becoming like a actually pretty good success is because like, well, it's total production. So we're just not moving forward with this show. Yep. Swamp Thing can't seem to catch a break. I know that show was good. That first season was so fucking good. Filled with horror. Derek Maris crushed it as Swamp Thing. Sorry. I'm still kind of angry. I really liked that first season. <laughs> I wanted more. Well, that's another Wes Craven film we've covered on the show. So we've, we've done him quite a bit. So the first studio that showed interest in this was Disney. But they wanted him to trim it down substantially so they could market, that, market uh, the movie to kids and preteens. So if Craven had agreed to that, Elm Street would have wound up a gateway horror film. Interesting, but I'm glad it didn't happen. So this was before Disney, you know, just had another studio in its pocket 
to sell stuff R-rated, but not slap their damn name on it like they do now. Yeah. AKA this, the upcoming Predator movie. Yeah. This was basically just Roy saying, I like it, but do, you, do we need all the murder? <laughs> <laughs> Wes being I, like, yeah, we kind of do. <laughs> I really wonder how that would have looked for teens and for, for kids and preteens, what that looks like. Oh, no. not, not even like the murder, just the fact that you know part of the plot line is that he killed, and it's hinted at several times through imagery in the film, molested children. How the hell do you even try to you know change that for a gateway horror film? If this like is the whole, go ahead. <laughs> the whole character of Rod, the first thing that he said is, "Oh, um, a boner joke." Yeah. <laughs> like you know, there's no other purpose for that guy. Uh, but to be the scapegoat for the murder. So, like, how does that look like in a kid's movie? I don't know. I would love to see this recut <laughs> as, like, a Disney PG Watcher in the Woods type horror movie, uh, just to I see don't... what it would look like. <sighs> I mean, if this had been a hit under Disney, there could have been a fucking, you know, Freddy's Nightmare ride at Disney World. <laughs> yeah. Look, don't and don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a big... I've talked about before. Um, I'm a big fan of Watcher in the Woods. Something Wicked This Way comes. So Disney can do, like, I, they can't. They will push the envelope on their gateway horror. I've just, we've, I've seen it. Um, with that, no, this was written as an R-rated film. Just no. Um, like I said, thank God. Now, really, I would say when Brina Vista um, became a thing, so that's when they first started doing that. Thank God, Disney just wisened up and said, like, why don't we just have one studio on standby that we own? We can just release R-rated material, but we don't put our name on it. Yeah. Like I said, you know, uh, Ready or Not falls under that because that's when they bought that's uh 20th century so ready or not you know um the, like i said the upcoming predator film that's why you hear the memes about it up being a predators as a disney princess now like well technically it's a disney film now i am glad they realize that like not everything they have to put out has to be a musical like for children like they have so you know just don't call it disney and you've got tons of options i'm glad they are finally yeah. born up to that and and even then they're they're kind of experimenting with their Marvel shit apparently like you know I don't know if you guys heard but Deadpool one two and Logan are on Disney Plus uncut yeah. like it's not tampered it's the R rated cuts and Marvel Zombies upcoming uh, animated thing they they confirmed a TVMA rating for gore like I don't know what's going on but apparently they're like fuck it let's just do it we're I Disney really think Canada. yeah. I really think the next wave of Marvel properties is all going to be a little darker, which is exciting to see because I think they realize that their whole lucky kind of smile, lucky go formula is in the running out. So at least what I've heard from Comic-Con. Well, I just want my R-rated Blade movie. I don't want them oh neutering Blade. That's all I want. Like they can do whatever they want with anything else, but Blade I want. Uh, yeah, but I think like when the when the Netflix stuff came on Disney+, Plus, that's when they ad- adapted the like... Um, child block uh thing if they you know don't want your kids stumbling onto the punisher after watching frozen i get that <laughs> with disney plus i totally get that <laughs> yes yeah there's a lot of family material on there so <laughs> gotta both say watch like frozen and the next thing you know you know kingpin's bashing a dude's fucking head in with a door <laughs> and you can see it yeah you gotta you gotta you gotta build up to that <laughs> <laughs> but freddie could have been there <laughs> freddie <laughs> freddie was close what's um, funny though is that i know we'll get into it but like this series essentially became something families enjoyed because i mean the way they marketed freddy as the sequels went on was like here's stuff for the kids yeah jason doesn't have a rap album <laughs> 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 uh, 
I think that'd be pretty boring. He, you know, ass, he has a kick-ass Alice Cooper song. I'll give him that. I feel like Jason would release like a like a instrumental type kind of thing, you know, like with a turntable. He'd be a DJ, basically. Like Freddie raps, Jason's a DJ, and Michael's doing his own thing because he, he he wants nothing to do with them. House music. We want to see all this play out. Just type in the Merkins, and they have the best shit with this. They're they're <laughs> one with Leatherface and the chainsaw. I think my chains are sexy. Oh, oh god, god. It, it cracks me the fuck up. It's such a good parody video. Those guys are the best. Straight out of Springwood was my favorite. <laughs> did you see that they did one where it was achy breaky heart, but with Leatherface? I love that he gets all the fucking country songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great stuff. Oh. So okay. you have this. It's just look on YouTube, Merkins, for anyone who hasn't explored that wonderfulness that they do. It's great. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Paramount turned down the script because they felt it was too similar to a film called Dreamscape, which I looked up and it sounded pretty cool. It's Dennis Quaid and he's like a guy who can enter people's dreams. It's basically Inception. Like he enters people's dreams to like save their ideas or something. So Paramount, you already had Friday the 13th, huge hitter for them in the 80s. We're like, yeah, we don't need this other one. It's too similar to a movie no one really remembers. Not the fact that we have another huge slasher franchise. No, this other film. Okay, okay, Paramount. Dreamscape came out in 84. It was Dennis Quaid, Max von Sydow, Christopher Plummer. This is the plot synopsis on IMDb. A man who could enter and manipulate people's dreams is recruited by a government agency to help cure the president of his nightmares about nuclear war, but stumbles upon an assassination plot. So, yeah. They were like, we already got Dennis Quaid walking into dreams. We don't need another one. <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. It's just fine to me that they they just were like, yeah, we don't need this other it's going to be a huge franchise under our belt. Yeah. Dreamscape, no franchise, uh, only grossed about $12 million. So probably not the best business move there, Paramount. <laughs> I, think, okay. I think in the long run, as long as the... I think a crossover crossover would have happened way earlier than what it did. So maybe there's a silver lining that we didn't get a Freddy versus Jason in the nineties. Yeah, can you imagine the nineties? Uh like right off of Jason Goes to Hell, we get Freddy versus Jason. Eesh. No. <laughs> yeah, it worked out because we got and in the early 2000s from the guy that gave us Bride of Chucky, which is undoubtedly one of the best fucking entries in that franchise. So it kind of worked out for us. Yeah, I agree. Uh, ultimately, fledgling film studio New Line Cinema agreed to produce it. And at the time, New Line only distributed films. They hadn't actually produced anything yet. They were just a distributor. And they nearly went bankrupt trying to get Elm Street made. And ended up being their first commercial success, put the studio on the map, and the studio is often referred to as the house that Freddie built, which is pretty cool. Yeah, which also means they had more love for this franchise than, you know, the prior, the aforementioned Paramount did for Friday 13th um, <laughs> has ever had for that, which is so weird to me. It's like, you know, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. It's like all those kids at the beginning, like in the chocolate, in the, the candy store, getting all that free candy. 
and Charlie's outside just watching them all get that free candy. That's Jason. It's just, it's, yeah, it's just always been funny to me how like how Paramount so so ashamed of Friday Thirteenth, and it was like one of their biggest money makers in the eighties, and for until the legal battle hit all the way up to two thousand nine with the remake, and yet they're like, no, we don't do that. We don't like this franchise. I'm like, why? It makes you money. Why are you so ashamed? They still won't sell it. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. That, like someone's like, well, we'll sell it and do a great thing. Like, no, we want to keep it. <laughs> God. Uh, Universal almost picked it up too So uh, Freddie and Michael might have been under the same umbrella But uh, Universal basically said like, We don't want it now Polish it up We might take it off your hands in a few years If we feel like it So, so the studio that came out Obviously you know Halloween right? Big huge hit Halloween 2 I actually do really enjoy But it was very much saying Oh hey that's doing, you know Friday 13th And all these slashers are doing really good Let's hop in on that right And then that's how we got Halloween 2 then they get, which I like Halloween 3, but obviously a very divisive entry amongst fans. Um, and then they waited till 1988 to come out with Halloween 4. And they they went, nah, we're good, fam. Yeah, there was a six-year gap there where they had no slasher and Jason was making money. And they had an opportunity to replace Michael with this dream slasher guy. And they're like, it's not good enough. Call us in a few years, Wes, when you've got some talent. It's yeah, like, just to have... Just for four years later to come out with Halloween four, <laughs> the return of Michael. Mon- God damn it! <laughs> yeah, New Line took a chance. Nobody else wanted it. All the big guys were like, "No, we got one." <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> so I mean, it worked out in the end. But so it's just funny yeah. to me. It's hilarious. Um, two actors who were considered for Freddy Krueger may surprise you. First up, character actor David Warner. And uh, weirdly, uh, he died today. Oh, uh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, after a battle with cancer. Uh, he was in his 80s. He's one of my favorite character actors. He played the devil in Time Bandits, if you guys have ever seen that. Uh, he was the man. He played Jack the Ripper in Time After Time. And he was almost Freddy. Uh, there's a, a rumor that he like was cast. He did makeup tests, but he dropped out due to scheduling conflicts and that has been denied by several people, including Warner himself. I don't know why that's the rumor. Like, what do you, what did people get out of that? Like, he still wasn't well, Freddy. I mean, <laughs> I, people love holding on to these rumors. I mean, obviously the most famous example is the whole Toby Hooper, you know, Spielberg Portuguese thing, right? Like people just want to hold on, even when the evidence has been piled up saying, no, you're wrong. This is actually what went down. Like, well, maybe I'm like, it came from the fucking actor, director himself, dude. Like, calm down. Um, I mean, it would have been cool. David Warner probably would have crushed it, but yeah, I really, because of how good Robert England does this, I really cannot imagine anyone else. Yeah. Now, with that said, I'm not one of those crazy people. It's like, they can't do any more nightmares because we can't be one place, but I'm more than willing to see who else can play Freddy and if they can bring something to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not closed mind like that. I'm just saying, like, it's going to be hard. I guess the way to say it. It's it's a yeah. very hard task because of how, how well he did. Oh, totally. But- yeah, I think that's the difference with Freddy too is that the character is so tied since there's no mask and Freddy, especially in later movies, his personality truly comes out that there's no way that you can replicate that. Um, I've seen like fan casts that are like Bill Hader. <laughs> um, I've seen some other with like weird ones and it's just like hard to imagine. But like you have hope if you like, yeah, I love this property so much that it's kind of like I don't want it to just go and, you know, uh, since Robert England is older. Uh, but yeah, you'd really have to find like someone perfect. 
My favorite yeah. fan cast okay. was Kevin Bacon. I think he would do a great job. Ooh, he would. Yeah, he'd do good. Um, actually, I would say like between, I would say the two hardest ones they will ever have to recast if they ever go the route is obviously Freddy, but also I don't. We haven't really talked about the franchise a lot, but Chucky. You know, that's another one that's very tied to Brad Dourif. They tried, and, and it was shit. Work. <laughs> yeah, well, that I don't even blame Mark Hammer. I blame the really shitty script on that movie. Yeah. Um, and whatever weird version they were trying to take Chucky in with that. Um, but yeah, it's like those are just two horror roles that are so tied to the actor because they bring so much to it, right? Yeah. And, you know, I know we again not putting down obviously people done from Michael and Jason. I know we had that talk about like what you need to do to actually really make you believe these characters that don't talk. But obviously with Freddie and Chucky, they're talking. You you really get to see into their personality and you get to hear that voice. So it's like you're so tied to that. This is who needs to be Freddie and this needs to be Chucky. Um, but like you said, you know, at the same time, these franchises eventually have to move on at some point, you know, as much as, you know, it's kind of like, a, what is it, you know, like Back to the Future. You know, it's safe now, but unfortunately, one day some greedy execs waiting and you know it to get his hands on it as much as it sucks. Um I'm hoping Zemeckis and Gale have some stipulation in their will where it's like, you know, the, the rights die with us, something like that. Because they're very adamant about this. So I, I think they're going to put something in place so that doesn't happen. I hope so also. So, but yeah, to, you know, and obviously right now we're kind of safe for Freddie because the estate, Crimson Estate has been very selective about who is going to approach a new movie. But, you know, when it's going to happen, and I always tell fans this, if it does get to that day, it happens, and, you know, characters like Freddie and Chucky have to get recasted, just approach it with an open mind. Um, at the end of the day, we still have the original. We still have the original actor to watch and enjoy. It does feel sometimes like we're at, like, a big old public pool, and, like, Michael and Leatherface and Chucky are just swimming around, having a great time, and Freddie and Jason are just, like, watching because they didn't bring their trunks. <laughs> it, it really sucks. One's like a legal rights issue. And then the other one's just the, I mean, I get it, the estate being very selective, but it's like, it's getting to the point where it's like, are you being selective to the detriment? Because give, I mean, give it to the Scream guys. Like they kicked ass with five cream. Yeah. And it looks you like they're going to do a great job with six cream. You know, he's <laughs> actually said they would love to do it. Elijah Wood and his company. Hmm, all right. I have seen what Elijah Wood has done with the horror genre. I am so down with the idea of him producing and making a, a, a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Nice. Yeah, here's hoping. Uh, the other guy who was considered for Jay, for uh, for Freddy, none other than Jason Voorhees himself, Kane Hodder. I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah, he auditioned. At first, uh, Craven wanted to go with like a big hulky kind of guy you know intimate like physically intimidating for freddie and hotter gave a good audition but you know craven decided to go in a different direction make him more of a psychological threat and uh hotter did say like you know he would have loved to play freddie but craven made the right decision but you imagine like we could have had a world where hotter played jason and freddie <laughs> can you imagine freddie versus jason he's just in both roles god <laughs> oh my god that'd be awesome that would oh god I, I almost like need a moment um that would be 
amazing. I do like that, you know, Hodder has that kind of humility about him to be like, hey, he made the right call. He didn't hold it against him. He's like, hey, I made, you know, he made the right call. And then day he is the most, you know, famous to play Jason Voorhees out of it. So, but that, that's, an, that's an awesome thought. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. Um, Robert England ended up as Freddy Krueger and it became the role he would forever be associated with. He would reprise the role in seven sequels, a TV series called Freddy's Nightmares, an episode of the Goldbergs, and a 1987 rap album titled Freddy's Greatest Hits, which features such bangers as Dance or Else and Do the Freddy. (laughs) I love capitalism because of stuff like that. Like, there's no other way to put it, but that's just like American capitalism at its finest that you're able to get shit like that. I need to find a vinyl copy of Freddy's Greatest I need it. <laughs> I'm sure if you look on like Spotify or Amazon Music or something, it's probably there. Oh, it's all over YouTube. Like you can hear this music whenever yeah. you want. But I want yeah. the physical, like I want to hang it on my wall as like this happened. Oh, <laughs> good luck. Good luck. I'm, I'm sure if you probably look on eBay, that shit is like through the roof expensive. I mean, I found Rodney Dangerfield's rap album. So like if I look hard enough, I will find it. <laughs> I did. I, I did. I don't know if y'all ever saw the Goldbergs uh, episode, but he looks so good in that, like in that episode. Like he still has it. It's crazy that at his age, like he's still able to do that. And like, yeah, props to the Goldbergs for really sticking to the whole '80s like fan service that they do all the time. It's yeah, I was really excited to see that. Even though I had fallen off that show, um, well, I'm sorry. really excited to see that episode. Well, you know what they say: once you go Freddy, you're always ready. Yeah. So <laughs> I was about to say I didn't I didn't I don't watch the Good Works, but I watched a clip um of the episode he was on because I was like, I don't watch the but I want to see this performance, damn it. And I watched it and yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like, you know, yeah, you can even tell through the makeup, yeah, he's older, you know. But performance wise, he still had it. Like he was still crushing in his little scene he was in. I watched I don't watch the Goldbergs either, but I, I watched that clip and I watched the one where they they were able to bring Rick Moranis back as Dark Helmet. <laughs> I watched that too. And I was like, it's so good to see him again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, England's just, you know, he's so tied to Freddie that, you know, it's just not, it's almost impossible to imagine. I mean, we saw in the, in the remake where Jackie O'Haley tried it out and I don't blame him for how much of a fuck up that movie okay. was. I like his performance. Yeah. I don't think he was a problem. I actually really like his performance. Me too. Uh, oh, f- side note. Craven did originally envision Freddy as a child molester. He cut that back, made him a child murderer. And so he's not raping any kids. But then in the remake, they did put that back into his backstory. Yeah. But in the in the original film, they put like hints in there. Like there's so hints from that script of him being a molester. Now, like I said, with the hand coming out of the bathtub, like yeah. they put hints. They just never explicitly say it. And like you said, it's all we know is that he murdered. That's all we know. I can totally, I can totally, you know, enjoy the jokes of a demonic child murderer. Hard to enjoy the jokes of a demonic child molester. Well, the re- well, and this is the thing with the remake. This will be a very fun beyond the bad whenever I approach that show, that movie. Um, but thing is, the movie doesn't commit. Like it literally sits and goes, "Well, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was." And I'm like, "Holy shit! Like <laughs> commit or don't." Pick a lane movie. <laughs> it's been I'm so long since I watched. It's been so long since I watched the Elm Street remake. I barely remember it. I just remember like I think I fell asleep because it was so fucking boring. And then when we saw Freddie in his in his makeup, I was like, really? Like, yeah. God. Well, I know. 
you know, what's interesting is that that was hot off the hills of like, you know, Last House Love, Tales of Eyes remake, which Craven was actually active involved, involved as a producer on both those, which is, I think, why those turned out so good. And they had good directors for both. They did not let him be involved with the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Fucking Platinum Dudes. Yeah, Platinum Dudes was like, look, we've done Leatherface, we've done Jason, we got this. And they did not let him get involved. They did it on their own. Like, he talked pretty badly about it. He was kind of, he was pissed. Um, yeah, if Michael Bay shit all over my life's work, I'd be pissed too. <laughs> yeah. So that explains some of it. They, there was literally, I think they were just like, look, we've had, we've remade all these other ones into huge hits. And for the most part, I'll say it, uh, it might be a hot take. I like a good chunk of Platinum Dunes remakes. We'll put it out there. Um, well, like you said, though, you know, it's it's kind of like Craven. When they hit, they hit. But when they miss, they fucking miss hard. Yeah, they do. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so thanks to Freddie, Robert England has become horror royalty, has appeared in such films as The Mangler, Wishmaster, Strangeland, Hatchet, and Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, as well as various horror TV shows like Stranger Things and Supernatural. So he's uh, he's the man. I'll do this for Josh. It's his VHS, but he also directed a film called 976 Evil. God, Josh is like, he's like an endless cavern of random ass horror films I would never hear about without, without him. I think, I think a, a foreign distribution company finally put out a, a Blu-ray, but don't quote me. 976 Evil. So is that like, is, is VHS like the only way to watch that movie? No, uh, as far as I know, but I think like Eureka or uh, 101 or whatever, like one of those foreign um, companies, I think they put out a Blu-ray. So I think there is a Blu-ray, just a foreign Blu-ray. I'll throw it in the book just just for kicks. Yeah. <laughs> so, my, my, yeah. Nice little shout out there. You know, <laughs> it's just directorial. It's only directorial movie. Everybody seems to get one. You know, every, every almost every actor gets at least one time to be a director. One chance. You do great. You get more. You don't, you don't get more. <laughs> uh, so let's go into the rest of the cast here. We've got Heather Langenkamp as Nancy Thompson, our final girl. Uh, she would reprise the role in Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and New Nightmare. She was also in Shocker, Hellraiser Judgment, Star Trek Into Darkness, and two episodes of American Horror Story. Uh, so she's a... Uh, I, I love I love Nancy. I love how resourceful she is. How she fucks up Freddy with like a home alone trap house and just turns it like, you know, says like you're shit and then just watches him disappear. I love it. Nancy might be my favorite horror final girl, honestly. I mean, I love Lori to death, but there's something about Nancy. I just I really like Nancy's whole deal. I, I, I like definitely her. agree. I feel like she's not uh, something that also makes her pretty unique is I feel like she's not like overly sexualized. I feel like she's very much like the she's kind of the prude uh, out of the two girls. And so um, at least how they paint her as. But I think that like it really fits her character. And then New Nightmare. Love that movie. Uh, I think it's yeah. And to her performance in the movie, you don't really expect her to be as good especially watching the other sequels like you don't expect it to be as good but that movie i think she really shines and is one of the the better moments of that movie of that movie is her performance and her ability to yeah really fill that role like she is the nancy oh yeah i think what i like uh, when it comes to final girls unlike you know i don't know friday 13 always changed it because they just were like let's get characters in the movie that we can kill off um 
And Halloween has a very interesting timeline. So I love Jamie Curse. I love the character lore show, but it has the if you watch it, it's the weirdest timeline of character throughout that because so many reboots on it. What I like about Nancy in regards to her is that she has a very consistent arc throughout this franchise. She's technically only in three of the films. The original, uh, Nightmare 3, which is an outstanding film as well, and New Nightmare, which is also really, like you were saying, really, really good. And there's a consistency to her arc throughout all three. And what's even crazier is that you, for anyone who doesn't know, like New Nightmare is a meta film. So the fact that they kept a consistency in the in the last film of her arc, which is meta, is impressive. So I think I really like that, that there was like legit consistent character work throughout this franchise on her and it, it was all very rewarding yeah yeah for sure new nightmare is my favorite like without a doubt that is one of the most creative horror films i've ever seen and the scariest freddy's ever been in my opinion yeah uh you know, it's can't wait to do that on this show one day as much as i love scary freddy um mine's nightmare three i just love nightmare three so much and it has the docking song dream warriors it it fucks that song fucks it's, it's so good <laughs> oh yeah it does fuck uh it's been so long since i watched any of the sequels it was one of those situations where caleb and i just marathoned them all in one day and they all bleed together for me so i want to watch them individually on separate days so i can actually appreciate them as individual films same a lot of these movies a lot of these franchises me and my brother we had a blockbuster in our town for a long time so one summer before we left to college we just binged all of these different franchises and so especially with the nightmare movies especially towards the end where he's just so comedic um the beginning first two i I really love nightmare two i know it's kind of like yeah i think him at the pool is so cool (laughs) um like that whole scene i think it's a it's a fun uh, concept so you're not alone anymore. Nightmare 2, especially thanks to a documentary called uh, Scream Queen, My My Nightmare on... Shit, why am I trying to guess the title when I own the damn movie? <laughs> Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, that talks about this, uh, the themes in that film, the, the main actor and all that stuff. So actually, it's become a, a big-time cult favorite. So you're not alone in that anymore. Christian, a lot of people have come around on Nightmare 2. Yeah, I went ahead and took that out of the bad book, threw it into the good book, because I feel like with all the, you know, kind of resurgence of fan acclaim for that one, I'm, I think it's worth revisiting on this show. For sure. So, and I'd like to watch that documentary as well. It's a really good documentary. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Next up, we've got Oscar nominee Johnny Depp as Glenn, Nancy's boyfriend. This was his first movie, and it started one hell of an interesting career. And the only reason he got hired is because Wes Craven's daughter thought he was hot. And they were like, oh. have, you heard, have you ever heard Russ Craven's response to that when his daughter said that? What did he say? He was like, really? The pale looking guy? <laughs> oh, well, you know, 30 yeah, plus like, years in Hollywood would agree with her. He thought he looked sick. That was the thing. Like, I thought he was sick. <laughs> That's but awesome. then he, you know, he saw him perform and had a turnaround. I was like, it was really awesome to work with. I really liked working with him. He spoke highly of Johnny Depp after working with him. Yeah, most people who've worked with him have. Like, he's he's got a, you know, prior to the whole Amber Heard situation, he had a really good reputation. I love seeing young Johnny Depp before, like, the weird accent that he kind of takes on after 
you know, Jack Sparrow. But it's really good to see, like, okay, this is just a normal American dude. Like, there's nothing, there's no Keith Richards, there's no other influence, but it's him. Um, I was reading somewhere that some, like, other big 80s names were, like, also slated to possibly take the role. Like, I think I saw Kiefer Sutherland. And, oh, yeah. Um, I've got a whole thing on that in my film, guys. In fact, we're going to go through. Yeah, like, John Cusack. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, Every 80s heartthrob was considered. Yeah. Wild. Uh, by the way, Johnny Depp is from Kentucky, so yeah, no accent in real life. <laughs> <laughs> he had the new kid on the block. <laughs> got, got it. Not one of the established hot throbs. Nope. Because Wes Craven apparently values his daughter's opinion quite a lot, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, his son worked with them on stuff, so he apparently had a really good relationship with his kids. That's good. I like hearing about that. Uh, so after getting blasted through a bed in 300 gallons of blood. Depp went on to be nominated for three Oscars for his performances in Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Finding Neverland, and Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. All three fantastic films, and he is great in all of them. Yep. Um, Some other oddball films he's appeared in include Sleepy Hollow, Edward Scissorhands, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Ed Wood, From Hell, Secret Window, and Tusk. He recently went through hell in court to defend his honor and reputation against his psychotic ex-wife and won. Good for him. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're a film fan, you don't know who Ryan Dupp is, like, come on. The guy's yeah. one of the biggest A-list stars in Hollywood. True. And now he gets to have the he gets to have his career back. So I'm very glad about that. Yes, his career back. He's you know on tour with his band. He has probably broken ties with Marilyn Manson. Is used to be bestie. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I will say this. Johnny Depp seems like a decent guy. Great actor. He's not a great judge of character. No. <laughs> That's his biggest <laughs> sin. He's, he's, he's shit at judging people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um. Character actor John Saxon plays Nancy's father, Lieutenant Thompson. Saxon would also reprise the role in Dream Warriors and New Nightmare. He was also in such films as Black Christmas, Battle Beyond the Stars, Tenebrae, Nightmare Beach, Beverly Hills Cop 3, From Dust Till Dawn, and Enter the Dragon. He died in 2020 at 83 years old from pneumonia. And that hit hard because I fucking love John Saxon. This dude's a badass. Hmm? Dude is a man. Yeah. You ever, you've seen End of the Dragon, right? No, I haven't, actually. <sighs> Damn. What about you, Christian? No, I haven't. But this dude's eyebrows are ingrained into my mind. Like, powerful eyebrows as a cop. I think that's what he does for me. In End of the Dragon, he is a like rich guy who ends up on this martial arts island with Bruce Lee and Jim Kelly and becomes one of the good guys helping Bruce Lee take down this warlord. It's fucking awesome. It's one of the best movies of all time. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, um, I do need. I do want to see. It. I've heard about it in a It's up there. It's it's up there for me to watch. Um, I just what I love about John Saxon is that the kind of character you know he he exudes macho, but mm. he does not look like what you would assume. You know your stereotypical macho man to play, and he be and he just plays everyday roles, which is what I love. So he exudes this aura, but he's really just playing an everyday person. True. And what a name too, just John Saxon. Like that's a that's a man's name. Like that's that's impressive. I'm impressed Look, by, what, by the name alone. 
look, what I'm getting at is that he probably he probably fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he fucked his way through the 70s, Hopefully 80s, 90s. Yeah. Good for him. That's how much of a man he is. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he was in from dust till dawn. Like I think he's one of the one of the cops. Yeah, it's he's not it's not a big role, I think. It's a very small role, but he's in it. Well, it's probably because, you know, Rodriguez and Tarantino were like, we can get John Saxon. <laughs> yeah, good for I'm, I'm glad he's in this. I love his character. And he's just, you know, I'm glad he came back from New Nightmare as just John Saxon. Yeah, I know. I've, I've always loved when he pops up stuff, John Saxon. He's, he is like, you know, you have like, to what I call like the men of horror. It's like him and like Tom Atkins, just guys that just like, Yes, you you just for some reason you always were like God. Yes, he's in this movie. Fuck yeah, yeah. That was like to me, John Saxon. Yeah, Kurt Russell's in that in that list as well. Kurt Russell, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris Sarandon thinks yes. I'll play Fright Night. I'd argue he would be in that. <laughs> but the yeah. men of horror that don't get talked about because and I'm not saying anything against that. Obviously, there's a lot of great females in horror, but the men of horror rock too. Oh yeah. Yeah, I refuse to let these guys be lost in the 80s. No, nah, these guys, I'm going to talk about these guys all the time. I mean, I, when, we did, when Austin and I did Fright Night, I mean, I went on quite a significant rant about how much I love Chris Sarandon. <laughs> yeah. so these guys just... Hmm? Do you need a moment? Ah. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> good times. <laughs> Um, what about you? What about you, Christian? I know we just sat here and racks poetic about these guys. Yeah, thoughts um, here. I'm definitely in the the camp where with Wes Craven's daughter. I'm, I think I prefer more of a girly looking Johnny Depp. Uh, but I do think that these guys definitely deserve their flowers. Um, yeah, because without them, you know, you don't have the. Yeah, he when he pulls a gun out. <laughs> on Rob and he pulls like oh you used me as bait and I'm like he plays that cop role so perfect that you need these characters to be hey you may not remember them right away but you know they definitely serve the purpose well I love in that scene like he doesn't apologize to his daughter his reaction is well what the hell were you doing going to school <laughs> <laughs> like I'm owning well, this <laughs> what 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 I love too about his characters is that you know it's you know obviously we get to where it's very clear him and you know Nancy's mom are divorced and it probably had a lot to do with the fact that she is an alcoholic. Um, but what I love is that you see, like, whereas the mom's hiding in her lick in her alcohol to face this, and I'm really hoping Nancy to you know her dad's you know John Saxon's character as her dad, he goes out of his way to make sure she's safe. He is like, nah, I don't know what's going on, but you're my daughter. I'm going to keep you safe because I'm a goddamn cop. All right, I got this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure there was a custody agreement, but I think the judge made the wrong call here. No, the first half I of this movie so. is definitely, yeah, the first half of this movie is definitely her parents, like, gaslighting her and <laughs> saying, like, yeah, yeah, like, just go to sleep. Like, yeah, that's all you need. Just go to sleep. Yeah. Ignore the, you know, the description of the man that we all killed as a town, like, yeah. that you somehow are seeing in your dreams. I guess I'll just, we'll just try to forget that's happening. <laughs> your best friend just got brutally murdered, taken out. Go go to sleep, Nancy. Yeah. There's a, there's a scene in Freddy versus Jason that has that kind of vibe it's like right after the guy the guy who gets crunched in the bed by jason at the oh, beginning, yeah and his friends like sitting outside and dad walks up to say some shit and the guy's like best friend was just killed dad 
So how about you give me some fucking space? <laughs> Always makes me laugh. That's how teen, teen angst is portrayed when your best friend gets brutally murdered and your parents. Teen angst understand. displayed by a 35 year old actor. <laughs> Horror will never change. So, like, we need to have high schoolers portrayed, but we obviously want to put a sex scene in. So, we can't do that. So, let's just get them in their 30s. It looks incredibly unrealistic, but hey, we can get them as teenagers. They can have sex and we can brutally kill them off. So, everyone wins. <laughs> Oh, geez. So, A Nightmare on Elm Street has an IMDb score of 7.4. Rotten Tomatoes score of 95%. Way bigger than Friday the 13th. Just don't know why I felt like mentioning that, but I did. So, Uh, like, you just don't want to let it go. Nah, I don't. I'm going to hold on to that like a tumor that I can't remove. You're just mad that at the end day, the backbone of this craze in the 80s was 100% Friday 13th. Even though critics hated it, they were fucking money makers. Audiences were there in droves for a whole decade. That's true. It was a giant hit, grossing $57 million on a budget of only $1 million. It became one of the most iconic horror franchises in history, spawned seven sequels, an anthology TV series, a really shitty remake, and so much more. I mean, Freddy pops up in Mortal Kombat 9, voiced by Robert England, I found out, which was just really cool. Uh, so, yeah, just Freddy's a, an icon of pop culture, you know, alongside Jason and Michael and Leatherface and Ghostface and all these guys. It's just part of, you know, I think collectively, they're the backbone of horror, at least today, in pop culture. I will say they are the backbone of horror in general. Um, them and the Universal Monsters, they're iconic in the genre everyone knows who they are they are guaranteed money makers at the box office as was proven with halloween and i'm sure if we ever do get friday the 13th and, and i'm on the street the, the same thing will get proven that these guys are money makers because people want to see them on the big screen yep i hope i get to see them that would be nice <laughs> yeah, um it's lifetime for sure yeah it's time it's been too fucking long it's way too long <laughs> Trust me, I've, I've had this complaint for years now. I know. I'm surprised, like, you know, I mean, Jason Blum is trying to grab all these to have them all under his um, his uh, Blum umbrella. But uh, I I saw the opportunity and I took it. Um, and I I wonder if he, like, if, if he ever, I mean, it's there's no way in hell he's ever going to get Freddy or Jason. It's just not going to happen. But if he did, you he wants a cinematic universe, doesn't he? I think so. I think I was like all the 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 kind of like the the egotistical comment he made aside. It would be cool if somehow Jason Blum could pull off getting them from Blumhouse simply because yes, I do think in his head he's thinking like that. Like if I can get them all, I can make a cinematic universe, and then we can talk again, have new talks about a Freddy versus Jason potentially versus Michael. Um, so I'm sure that's in his head. It's fine. It's in every horror fan's head for Christ's sakes. Um, but you know, we'll see. Um, I would say he has a better luck with Nightmare on Treat than he does with Friday Thirteenth because of the whole legal thing with two old dudes. That's true. It's very true. Uh, so with that, let's talk uh, Elm Street. Let's talk some highlights, some favorite scenes and stuff. Uh, first thing I want to bring up is uh, Charles Bernstein's awesome score. Uh, the music of Elm Street is creepy as shit. 
it's very uh childlike but with like a menacing overtone to it i think that's why i like it it we can't talk about it with that pop stuff right it's not it's a little poppy but just with a menacing overtone added to it yeah it sounds a little like synth keyboardish, but not really and it's just like in the background it's like the perfect moment um and then like especially with the kids like singing i think that's just so like creative of a yeah like even if you've never seen the movie or you've you know you at least know that song or you know the theme and so i think that just speaks to like how important you know that's such like i mean that's such a huge part of horror you know and especially with this movie and like even the later um the later you know additions into the the franchise they're more upfront with the amount of screen time that freddie gets but the music kind of stays consistent with like hey something important is going to happen or yeah yeah the one two freddie's coming for you jump rope song it makes the real world feel dreamlike yeah and that's cool because that's when you like you start wondering like what is anything real like is this movie one big series of nightmares do we ever see the real world it's creepy (laughs) yeah one two freddy's coming for you um yeah no it's the way I know we talked about the way Craven just I I would say halfway through the movie starts making to go, all right, am I even what I'm watching? Is it even real anymore? Because there's just so many instances of Freddy coming into it on any, you know, musical scene, anything to clue you in that, okay, now I'm on the dream board and Freddy's, you know, out. It just happens and you go, and you guys honestly go, oh shit, she's asleep. It's Freddy. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Like you, you get that anxiety immediately because of it. Yeah. Um, I also love how in the opening credits, Robert England is billed as Fred Krueger. Yeah, uh, he didn't get the Freddy title to the sequel. I wonder if you think he would have been as iconic if he'd been like Fred Krueger. Something about Freddy that's so creepy. Like you can't have, you know, Michael, I, Jason, and Fred. Mike Myers. Uh <laughs> Mike, Mike, Jason, Fred. Yeah, it just wouldn't work. Mike um, Myers. I think he still would have been iconic. I think people would have eventually just called him Freddy. You know what I mean? I think the name change was going to happen eventually. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> and most people who are called Fred go by Freddy anyway, because it's a nickname. I like to call him Fredward Kruger because that's what I like to imagine. <laughs> that's why he's so angry. Fredward Kruger the third junior. The third junior. That makes sense because what is he the son of a thousand? Yeah, uh, rapist, right? Yeah, yeah, maniacs. One of them is probably named. One of them is probably named Fred. So yeah, he probably is a junior. Um, (laughs) He's a junior. I like like how the 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 junior third thing took a while for you to to laugh at. Connor's like you had to think about that. I just for a minute. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. Um, I also love that Craven decided to name the super horny guy Rod. Like, might as well call him Dick. Like, it's just, it's great. He's got one is it any, setting and it's horny. Is it any, like, worse than, like, half of the um, James Bond gore names? Holly Goodhead? Come on. <laughs> Come on. In the terms of horribly Pussy sexist. Galore. Yeah, nothing's beaten Pussy Galore in the terms, in, like, the horrifically <laughs> sexist name category. 
but Rod, great movie, but that has not aged well. The whole like him oh. sleeping, forcibly sleeping with a, a lesbian. Um, yep, 1964 when Bond slaps a girl's ass, tells her to go away because it's man talk time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, it's it's <laughs> I don't know how we got here, but yeah, Rock John Watch. is on my mind thanks to uh, the Billboard special. Oh, <laughs> a little slap, you just. <laughs> how he sunk quick aside how he sunk into the sean connery accent like on the spot during that stand-up god damn all right we're gonna stay what here he said was- <laughs> did you ever see the actual interview he did i think it was with barbara walters where he was asked about this sean connery it's no oh i what he's I, I know he said something almost as equally outrageous or something but yeah i forget she would told him like so like 10 years ago on uh you were recorded as saying like it's perfectly okay to slap a woman when she's not doing things your way and first off he rolls his eyes like are we really talking about this again and then he says like yes i think it's perfectly fine <laughs> like she was expecting to <laughs> like she was expecting to get him and he doubled down oh my <laughs> it's awkward as fuck what if he just like looked at her and was like i'm about to slap you he gets a, he, he kind of does. He kind of looks at her like, are we really gonna keep talking about this? Like somebody deserves a slap. <laughs> anyway. Who <laughs> was this Joan Rivers, you said? Yeah, Barbara Walters, I think. Oh, Barbara Walters. I was supposed to yeah. say, no, Joan Rivers had fucking guar on her show. Oh, she would have slapped his ass back. Yeah. Uh, she would have punched him. She she had Graw on her show. That was in the documentary when I was watching this where they had the footage of Odorous of the dude in characters, Odorous Angus on the show. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, what we're talking, Rod. Yeah, I like Rod. Rod. He's a, you know, he's kind of an asshole, but he's like not a bad guy. No, he just he's an asshole that has incredibly loud sex with no regards to anyone else in the house in a two story house. I should point out, and a How weird, the hell do you pull that off? And a weird beef with Glenn that's never really explained. <laughs> yeah, like it's like, dude, Glenn's not trying to go after your gore. He's going after. Nancy, so where's this beef? And on, I'll say it. I know we talked about like she's the final girl, so she's the more prudish type. Nancy was the hottest one in that in that friends group. I thought, I'm just saying, yeah, dude. In this movie, I mean, usually it's you know a slasher film. If you have sex, you're gonna die. In this movie, you can't even get horny because Glenn didn't have <laughs> sex and he still got killed. But he's the one who wanted to bang. Nancy's the one who's like, we're here for her. <laughs> she had a nightmare, and we're gonna be supportive friends. Dude, it, it, that's Josh, weird. Is is that weird? Like when your friend has a nightmare, and we're like, we got to all ha- have a sleepover because you're in pain. Oh, well, that's what Nancy's dad says. Why are you doing shagging up with him? And I'm like, oh my god, Boomer dad does not understand that my best friend had a nightmare. We all need to be there. We all need to help her out. Uh, I do like how like Glenn does try so hard to sleep out there to the point that when she's like, can you come over and just watch me sleep? Instead of being like, that's weird. No, he's like, yes, I will. Because in his teenage, he's thinking. She's wanting to fuck. That's what he's thinking in his teenage mind. Just, oh, I got the, I got, I got the fucking permission. Let's do this. And instead, he goes there, doesn't watch her sleep because he falls asleep, and then she gets mad at him. I love when he's listening to Rod banging it out, and he just goes like, "Morality sucks." <laughs> like all he wants, his whole arc is he wants to fuck. That's all he's got in this movie. He, he really wants Nancy, and Nancy's like, "I like you as a friend." <laughs> No, they're dating, like they're making out, but it's like she's just like now's not the time. 
Like she had a nightmare. How can you be thinking of sex at a time like this? You think like they were going to do it and that's also making him more angry. Like they were going to like actually have sex that night, but then the nightmare came up and she's like, we have to postpone. We have to help my friend. He's like, God damn it. I was so close. I'm just picturing like his death at Freddie's hands. Like if you know, Glenn falls asleep, he ends up in the boiler room or something. Freddie comes up to him and the guy's just like gets on his knees. And he's like, fine. And Freddie's like, are you okay? He's like, you don't understand, man. I am so blue. <laughs> what, if, what if at that point, Freddie only goes after Nancy because he made it do with Glenn because Glenn's pissed that he died without being in Nancy. So he's just like, Fred, come on, crew, come on. Fred, I know you want to kill me. Just help me out now, man. Can you get her? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, I love that moment when uh, when we meet Rod and he says something about like, you know, I got a hard on with your name on it. And Tina's like, how can your hard on fit four letters? And he immediately goes to, Hey, fuck you. <laughs> they seem to be like the most realistic couple out of like a lot of horror franchises that the guy's just very much blunt and says, I'm not going to put up with it. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was so funny. It was like, Hey, I'm joking. And then she's like, you have a small dick. And he's like, fuck you and runs off it's just, it's so out of the blue and hilarious <laughs> he's insecure about his dick that's all that's all it is he's an insecure man you know it would have been a great death for him like freddie turns into his dick or like his <laughs> dick turns into freddie all like two inches yeah it's like just freddie's like face and hat <laughs> he's like ah now i'm rod ah, get it <laughs> Maybe in a sequel for sure. That sounds very possible in one of the sequels. <laughs> um, I love the imagery of Freddie pushing in the wall over Nancy and just like being in like, like almost in the house in the walls. Like that's such a cool image. It hold a lot of the sh- things in this film that they pulled off with special effects and practical hold up yeah. really well. I mean, all that is is spandex. It's just. Yeah. Robert England pushing in on a big piece of spandex that looks like a wall. I think it's so it simple. Be, I'm pretty sure that that shot where it's uh, Rod looking at Tina getting, you know, drug up the wall. I'm pretty sure that's all practical. Uh, yeah, for the most. Yeah, yeah. it's it was all practical. A revolving room set that they used a couple times because that's why you've got like you can see her on the on the wall like on the ceiling and Rod in the same shot on the ground. It's really impressive for 1984 yeah it's a, it's no a yeah work and um they had a rotating room so she's actually being rotated around on like a wire as they're doing that and tina's death is when we first like officially get to meet freddie and i just love the the whole you know this is god thing he does with the claw that i wrote that me. line down like the way he delivers that line but this is God. And it's like, oh, God. Oh, no. You're in his ward. He is fucking master and, you know, Alpha and Omega here. Um, and, yeah, it's it's just a fucking good line. It really gets you into who this character is. And, yeah, this is honestly a really great sequence when, like, you're watching Tina having to run away. And she had a really great opening sequence with that opening thing yeah. with her. But, yeah, this one is fucking stellar to watch. Yeah, where she wakes up and she's got the her tor- her clothes are torn, and you realize like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, the first her, thing her she mom. grabs is like the crucifix too. 
and then it goes right into the song and i'm like oh god like this is just i mean for a teenage person like i don't think you expect them to be that religious but the first thing they jump out and get is their crucifix like i mean if it was that i i i'm not religious in the slightest but i'd i'd start you know praying to something if something in my (laughs) dream i woke up and i had a wound i got from the dream i'd be like okay i need protection I'd, I'd go to the first Christian store I can find and buy out the whole fucking place. <laughs> like, all right, oh, what can I get to help me out? Her mom tells her, like, you either need to stop having these nightmares or cut your fingernails. Like, those are the only two options, and I love that fucking line. Yeah. I love that she's like, hey, just stop having it. nightmares. Like, oh, why didn't I think of that? Well, <laughs> right. well what I love is that you're like, well, that's a shitty thing to say, and then you quickly know what kind of mom she is when the deadbeat fucking boyfriend would a goddamn wife beater and beer in his hand he comes in like what's going on you coming back I'm to like, the stack or what yeah i'm like you guys were clearly about to fuck and that's really like you're just max your teenage daughter will you know interrupted <laughs> god bless she had a nightmare all the parents in this movie are shit except john yeah. saxon it's that's it's actually he, kind of funny yeah it's because he's a goddamn man right <laughs> that's right but like Glenn's parents are like, you know, like that weird Nancy girl is talking to our son and like, man, like you shouldn't be talking to yeah, him. Like, that's so weird. They're like that weird. I'm like, how long has your friend been dating her? And you're still referring her to as that weird Nancy girl. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then What's you know, funny is watching this and then for the Beyond the Bad episode, the parents don't get any better than that movie I watched. <laughs> I guess bad parents are the theme, the theme of the week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what you don't want to say. Did did you have something to say, Connor? Did you? No, I I, I did not. No. Nope. All right. <laughs> uh, this the struggles of a three person podcast. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Tina's death is brutal as hell. It's uh, just you know, I think as vicious as Freddie gets in the in the franchise I, to me anyway i mean that that was drawn out that was you know he wanted her to suffer that was well, yeah. and it works too because as that's playing out you have again it's made like you were uh, you know talking about earlier uh christian how they pull that off with having rod in the in the background of the shot and you can hear his screams i think that actually really sells it as you're seeing this slow what looks to be painful death happening to her and this craziness and rod just having this clearly mental break because he's seeing something no human should be seeing like this is what the fuck's going like he's having a mental break as this going because his girlfriend dying and getting killed you know she's on the goddamn ceiling like this crazy shit's happening so from like just how they play her death to his reaction i think really sells like there's the creep factor and the intensity of this scene yeah i think after the scenes after um for being like you know just the kind of typical horny teenager i think the character that plays rob like when he's really like on the run he's got no issues on and when he's in the jail cell i don't know if i read this right but i think the actor was actually like was he actually on drugs is that something that i read i think you have to look into it but i think the guy might have actually been like on hard drugs so it really does like looking into that like the 80s it was the 80s yeah it was the 80s no but i think it's like something i read something like he snorted heroin or something like that between takes or something crazy i don't know how real that is or not but he looks like totally strung out 
Well, considering New Line was, you know, pretty fledgling, this was like their first big production. I can't imagine the cocaine budget was as massive as it would be on like a Paramount production. Yeah. But I'm sure it was the 80s, so it's probably in a few contracts. I was uh, just some fact that I've heard stories when I did my brief work in film that in the 80s, they would just some productions would have cocaine on like literally a platter and they'd walk around to the crew members for them to snort it. Shared amongst the crew. <laughs> I was craft services are... and <laughs> right next to you get a sandwich, you get a beer, you get a a few lines of coke, and you just go back to work. Let's make, yeah. yep, let's go make a movie. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But Rod's death is is freaky because of the way Freddie does it, because it makes it look like a suicide. Yeah. You know, he strangles him with the bed sheet. Creepy shit. Well, I, what I like about it too is that Nancy sees it play out a bit. Like I like how he, he toys with her, and he he like when she gets to the gel, and he, you know he pops up there and he just walks through the bars and then kind of looks at her like, "This is what you're dealing with. You can't stop me, no matter how hard you try. I am invincible." And yeah, he makes that look like a suicide, knowing that even if she saw it, no one's going to believe her because even the adults that did come that night, they don't want to talk about that night. It's like he knows he knows what he's doing, and it, it really has this side of just delicious, almost like evil malice to his performance. Did they ever explain how Freddie got off, like how he didn't end up in prison for murdering all these children? Uh, not fully. It's hinted that the cops ran on it, and that's how it happened. Like the cops knew what was going on and just like let it go. Which, because if you know Sean Saxon knew about that night, I believe, and um. He, I, I'm assuming he was a cop, and, and it was just like a hush hush thing. Yeah, I think I've seen a clip probably from the anthology series where they kind of go into it where he's like in a cage, like in the cell. I think it's from the anthology series. Yeah, and the pilot of that was, was Freddie's yeah. origin story. Yeah, and it's directed like, oh, it's by Toby Hooper, real quick. Oh. By Toby Hooper. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it was like a mistrial, and he's like there chilling. <laughs> well, okay, didn't read his Miranda rights. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for the parents getting some vigilante justice here and burning that fucker alive. But, uh, I mean, how did he become, you know, a dream, a dream? You don't want to know that because it's not a good explanation. Don't, don't. Is that, is that in like, like four or five? Yeah, it's nope. The three heads from hell come out and it's, yeah, it's a (laughs) frit. Don't, Connor, just don't. Unless you want to sit through Freddy's dead, just don't ask the goddamn question. Right? Uh, okay, there it is. It's live, dead. Just live with the goddamn knowledge that he is somehow in dreams. Okay, just don't worry about it. Okay? <laughs> we don't need that explanation. It's terrible. Just move on. Fair enough. Uh, here's a better question. This is why. Yeah. This, this, sorry, but this is why, like, this and the whole Cold Thorn bullshit and Halloween is why I'm such an advocate. Like, just stop asking. Just don't worry about it because. The explanation is never good. It's just yeah. never any good. I'll just take what they give me as long as it works. Yeah. Cult of Thorn makes too... more sense than the Jason Worm bullshit we got in Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs> yeah, well, it goes too much into the it's lore. Still bad. Yeah, and then you kind of ruin that suspense. Yeah. Yeah. Less is more. You know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, all that shit. You know, we don't need to know everything. Here's a good question, though. Why the hell did Nancy's mom save Freddie's glove? Now, that is a solid question. I will be more than happy going down that route. I don't know. 
she's also an alcoholic. They don't make good decisions. If you, if as a group you're gonna lynch a child murderer and burn him alive, maybe don't keep glaring ass pieces of evidence like that. <laughs> well, it's crazy to me. I think it's kind of like in the more of a, like in the undertones is like they are willing to definitely like let Rod burn in jail, uh, even though they're like definitely aware that it's Freddie. Uh, well, I mean, totally willing to kind of like. I mean, he's a teenager too. They remember Freddie, you know, they they know about Freddie, but they, as far as they're concerned, they killed Freddie. Like, yeah. They're not willing to accept, oh, he's haunting our kids' oh. dreams. With going down that route, I do like how dark the franchise is willing to go with that because by the time you get to Freddie versus Jason, there's the whole plot line. They're literally sending kids to an asylum and drugging them yeah. willingly just yeah. to keep Freddie from coming back. Hush, hush. I, I, this series, like to that credit, it went there. And um, dark and just shitty parenting for lack for extreme understatement. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Freaky stuff. I love when Nancy brings back Freddie's hat, and like you get proof that like he is real, and she can you know she can take it, she can do this, she can get him out of there. Yeah, it's a really badass moment. And then mom's like, "Oh, I threw that old thing out." It's like, "Fuck you, you're not helping." (laughs) Now, don't smash my new bottle of alcohol on the kitchen floor. <laughs> um, I love the uh, the bit where Freddie's mouth turns into the phone and like, you know, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. I, I love that line. Yeah. Well, I, again, that's why I say like, I like how, yes, he is a child killer, but they still left hints of like, maybe. But they never, unlike the fucking remake, they just they never say one way or the other. They're just like, Little hints that might he might have you know done some stuff other than just kill, but we never talk about it. We just move on, you know. I I, I like it. Like I said, with like you said, the phone with the tongue. Obviously, the more the really iconic scene. Obviously, more the better scene. The probably the most iconic scene, you know, his hand comes out of the bathtub and it's you know between her legs, her open legs because she's in the bathtub, you know, things like that. The kind of hint like oh god, maybe there was more. You know, it's it but. Because they don't, well, like because they don't comment, it creates an icky sense in you. Yeah. Without explicit saying, yeah, he fucked these people. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need to tell me that. I don't, I don't need to know that. But like, just that implication enough, and just go, oh, oh, ew. All about the implication. I think it definitely falls into more like the sort of the demonic aspect with the whole like dream demon stuff later on, um, where he's more like straight from hell and like more playing as like a figment more like and they kind of touch on it with the crucifix and sort of like the way they place it and sort of like oh like i'm like this is god and so kind of touches it like a religious stuff a little bit um but you kind of like the whole aspects of like lust and then like kind of preying on you know your different vices and stuff like that especially like the way he torments his victims is like it's all of their different vices um it's kind of more like so that didn't demonic sense. I think if they would have like outright said like, oh, this guy was a child molester, then it's like, okay, that's less demonic and more like, oh, this guy's human. Yeah. Creep. Yeah. Well, all of the the made, you know, the major slasher icons, they're all something different in horror. You know, Freddy's a demon, Mike uh Jason's a zombie, Leatherface is a redneck, and I guess Michael's <laughs> possessed. <laughs> yeah, he's a good old boy. Happened. Rednecks are scary. I saw Deliverance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Colothorn never happened. He's just, Michael, as far as I'm trying to say, I, I 
a, a supernatural human being somehow. Michael's just like the horror John Wick. He's just focused. <laughs> you can't take him down. He's going to take you down. I I love you say that after they released the teaser at Comic-Con for John Wick 4, which, oh my fucking God, I, I will be gushing about that pretty much till the film comes out. Ladies and gentlemen, it looks good. God damn. Yeah, I can't wait. We are absolutely going to be doing uh, the first John Wick film the week that comes out. Like we, we've we've danced around John Wick a lot. We've never really gotten to dig into it, so we're definitely going to be doing that next year. I can't wait. Oh, God, I can't wait. Yeah, I cool love stuff. that franchise so much. Oh yeah. Um, were y'all the first time you saw this? Were y'all expecting Glenn's death? I want to say no. Um. No, wait. I, yeah, no, I did because I had gotten it ruined. I saw some countdown myself. I watched a lot of countdowns when I was a kid, and it had been talked about how Johnny Depp's in this. He has the most iconic death. And me being me, and when we know how they film this stuff, I looked into how they film it, which pulling that scene off is fucking incredible. Like the actual sets, you know, it's actually upside down, the room's rotating. Like it's really cool they pulled that off. Um, so I knew it, but at the same time, actually seeing it in context movies still blew me away. And it's just the fact that, you know, obviously when I saw it and when you all saw it, Johnny Depp was, is a huge name. This wasn't like I saw it when it came out. He was literally, this is his first one. I've never heard of this guy. I'm sitting there going, like when I watched Friday 13, I'm like, ah, Kevin Bacon. You know, I'm watching going, hey, Johnny Depp. And then he just gets horrendously, probably one of the best kills in this film. Um, just slain an, an insane amount of blood. So I don't know what the fuck Freddy did to him, but holy shit. I... I saw this edited for TV once and they cut out almost all the gore. So in that scene, Glenn gets dragged to the bed and then you just never see him again. Like the blood fountain doesn't happen. You just never see Glenn anymore. <laughs> I will say for me, I've talked about my mom on this podcast, but she like grew up watching these movies like in theaters. And so she really shared a lot of them with me. Like I, I think I told Connor one of the first movies she ever showed me was Porky's and the birds. And my mom's like a devout Catholic woman. So uh, this is one of the classics like that she showed me. And so when I was a kid, I kind of being familiar with like horror, I guess it's like you kind of get familiar with like the whole last girl concept. And so who's going to like, who's going to let make it to the very end. And so I think I kind of was just like anticipating everyone today. Um, but I think the first time I watched this, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's Jack Sparrow <laughs> or that's Edward Scissorhands like how he said um but yeah I think in the moment I you just like are so magnified like I think as a kid and even now I still get the same feeling of like seeing the practical effects and it's like that is like you know as you know film like that's real yeah um so you really are able to like fall into that still which is amazing it really speaks to how good this movie is yeah definitely it's it's an awesome iconic moment and so freakish when you just think, you know, he exploded. <laughs> like, <laughs> eesh. Yeah, uh, I mean, blood that comes out of there, that bed. Jesus Christ. I mean, I wonder what his parents thought. Like, damn that Nancy girl. <laughs> Somehow this is her fault. And they're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, they're not wrong. Uh, so Nancy gets Freddie. Drags him into the real world. I love when he just is crouching behind the bed, waiting for an opening. <laughs> you know, she's like, "Oh, did I, did I, did I screw up? Is he still, is he not here?" And then he's like, "Ah, 
It's like I always just picture him like crouching, like waiting for the right moment to, to strike. Uh, it's always funny that thought. Um, I recently was. It's not. This is a supernatural thing, but uh, I saw what they did to make um, Misha Collins, you know, Castiel disappear in scenes, and they showed it. Apparently, he would just drop to the floor. <laughs> and so there's shot. It's actually him on the floor laying down out of frame and at one point he would look and be like is this good am i out of the shot this is fine and that's how they pulled off his disappearing act for a lot of scenes i saw one it was uh it was on i think it was an episode of the flash or supergirl but it was the flash and supergirl and it was pre all the visual effects added in so like they're super serious and then the flash is just doing like this and nothing's happening. And the Supergirl like <laughs> jumps two feet to like fly away, but then she just lands right down. It's like punching non-existent aliens. They look insane. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so funny seeing it. <laughs> I can just imagine, yeah, when they're shooting that scene, it's just Robert England hiding behind the couch, waiting for action in his queue. Um, but having to stay in character. Um, I do uh game back to movie though, I do like this whole sequence, like the whole sequence when she pulls him out. She breaks her uh, house up. I always call it the home alone sequence. Um, but like, yeah, she like breaks it to take this guy. I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, out of all the final girls, and this is not me trying to say, like, well, you know, Louie sucks. All these, all I love all the final girls we have in horror, but Nancy to me, this is where she has the edge that she is one of the most proactive and setting up the house for these traps to take him on and just seeing it like how it plays out and how it works. Like these traps constantly get further time to get further away from him. They hinder him for a second. And it, it's, it's a really neat sequence. It makes me laugh that Freddie, this like giant, you know, God of dreams, this powerful monster is getting like a sledgehammer to the face and like gas thrown on. Him. And he's like, Oh, Oh, oh <laughs> like his reactions are so over the top. And it just, it makes me laugh every time this sequence, it's like all of a sudden he, and I think that's on purpose because Wes Craven's using this to, to prove like he's not scary anymore. Yeah, Like I think he, he lost works. all of his power here. Yeah. And yeah. I'm glad that we talked about like the, the Jason actor, you know, almost, you know, popping up to play Freddie. I think it works because, you know, we take him out of the, like anytime in any like, you know, nightmare movie and they take him out of the dreams, you know, he's very much not as menacing. He's like just a dude. And I yeah. think it's kind of really speaks to the, like the reality of like he just is burn victim creep. <laughs> oh my god, dude! If Kane Hodder came out of there, oh like, yeah, no, he can like, take a sledgehammer to the face. Yeah, he's no. gonna grab it before it hits him in the face. Yeah. He's, gonna, he's like, gonna break her fucking neck with one hand. Dream powers or no yeah. dream powers? <laughs> look, look, Kane Hodder is like the John Wick of horror for us. Like he, the, nothing stops him. He just keeps on coming. He's huge. <laughs> he's a huge guy. It's yeah, he's a big man. You know, if uh, when you ever if you ever see him when you hit the like a horror convention that he's at, right? When you take a picture with him, he chokes you. He does like the 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 joke the choke hold on you for the picture. So cool. And fans have said he has a grip. He's not like just he's not like trying to you know obviously you know make you pass out, but he puts a, a good grip on it. I think it'd be awesome if he like you had like five seconds to take the picture, or he is gonna choke you out. <laughs> like he's got full grip and you better hurry <laughs> this thing a lot of those those jason actors are big dudes i met um part six is uh jason cj graham dude 
built like a fucking brick shit house. Like, goddamn. Like, I went to, you know, I paid the money to get the picture and the autograph. And I had, I was like, I went to turn off the picture and all of a sudden a, his hand just boom on my shoulder. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh boy. Um, so the ending when uh, Freddie takes mom in the weirdest way. And then, yes. yeah. Much and Nancy, yeah. And then Nancy's just like, nah, I'm done. Like, yeah, I'm taking back all the power I ever gave you. You're nothing. And then Freddy disappears. And it's cool, but also, like, real easy to take this guy down if all you have to do is be like, nah, I'm out. Your claws can't hurt me, Fred. (laughs) I don't know why I I, I don't know why I thought that was so funny. But then, because the get, outcome is, hmm? I was to say the outcome is that then he'd slash you and he'd actually slash you because I don't know how that actually works in real life. It'd be like, oh god, okay, yeah, your claws do hurt. Shit. Uh, well, then we get a tacked-on ending where everything's like, yay, we're all okay, but actually, Freddy's the car. Ah! Yeah. So. Shall, shall I give the quick rundown on on this shit? Not yet. I have it in my film, guys. Okay. In fact, we're going to go into all that, but uh, yeah, uh, right now it's, it just feels out of place and it, not we'll, like Craven's vision at all. Okay, well, we'll get into it, but it's not his vision. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it is very tack. It's very tacked on. Um, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to say too much because I'd, I'd rather wait till we actually kind of get into like how this even how this scene even came up. But yeah, it's actually the one part, like, because it feels like a lot of it doesn't hold up for me. Like, it doesn't make sense that he's in the car now and that they're all alive. That makes zero sense. You know, little girl's playing the song. Um, the whole, like, the clearly a dummy getting pulled through the window. Like, it's so, it's it, that's the one time where it's like, it's obvious. I wonder if that was just creating me like, fuck you, I didn't want this anyway. <laughs> it could be self-sabotage. Um, all right. So with that, uh, let's talk some filmgasm facts. I've got three interesting things to talk about here. Number one, Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend at the time of the shooting is credited for creating Freddie's nursery rhyme. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Just some dude she happened to be with was, I guess Wes was like, I need something. And he's like, I jump a lot of rope. I can help you. I have this rhyme. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure her current husband was one of the, the special effects guys on one of the Nightmare films. That's cool. Was it the same guy? Like that they did that in New Nightmare, right? Her husband was a VFX guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm almost positive she's like apparently just kept it in the Nightmare family, which good for her, you know. That's nice. I like that. This definitely feels like a more positive environment than the Friday the 13th set. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> It's because it is. It's Uh, because it is. That's why. Yeah. Number two, here are some of the actors who were considered for the role of Glenn. They were going big name, at least now. At the time, a lot of up-and-coming heartthrobs. Charlie Sheen, uh, he really wanted this, but he demanded too much money and they couldn't afford to pay him. I'm kind of glad. Yeah, I don't don't need that fucker attached to (laughs) lists. 
uh, John Cusack, Brad Pitt, Kiefer Sutherland, C. Thomas Howell, and the man himself, Nicolas Cage. I would totally be off Nicolas Cage. He can get any role in the goddamn universe. Like three years before H.I. <laughs> McDonough, Nicolas Cage could have been Glenn. I, I, I endorse so much. Quick aside, though, uh, I was slightly wrong. She met him. She kept it in the Craven family. She met, he was the makeup artist for the serpent and the rainbow. She met him at a rap party that she went to for that movie. Well, that's cool. That's still cool. I still, I still like that. Um, yeah. So I stand corrected. Just want to get that clarified. But yeah, uh, back to yeah, Nicholas Cage. Like, we share the same love. I don't know how Christian, I don't know how you feel about Nicholas Cage, but you're with two people that love him to death. I love Nicholas Cage. So. I right. think I'm in a. I think I'm in a good crowd. Yeah, no, I'm definitely in the Nicolas Cage appreciation. Uh, and yeah, I don't think he gets his flowers like he deserves, especially from out of all the names on that list. Um, <laughs> yeah, he I, doesn't get the appreciation. For me, I think retroactively. So if, if we live in the universe where Nicolas Cage was cast as Glenn, and he's in you know, Nightmare on Elm Street's part of his catalog, then in the unbearable weight of massive talent, there is a good to fair chance we could have gotten a Freddy Krueger cameo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you imagine it's just Robert England himself just pops up? Or better yet, it's just Robert England, but Cage keeps calling him Freddy like the whole time. And he's just like, What Nick, I'm not Freddy. He's like, Don't you trick me, Freddy. Not this, you can't do it again. Not this time. <laughs> Nick Cage Smooch is good. Nick Cage Smooch is good. Oh, what a beautiful work of art that movie was. <laughs> In the alternate universe, he's yeah. In alternate <laughs> universe, he's Glenn, but he's also Superman. So it works out. That's true. Yeah, he could have. Yeah. There's a there's a universe out there where his career is even better. <laughs> we get the is craziest fucking movie. Is it though? Because like, look, I'll say this. Yes, he had a a a, a slump in his career, but goddamn, when he was doing the paycheck gigs, but, just just Josh. I was like, you you shut your mouth. <laughs> but uh, with that, what we've gotten recently. From this man and like and even in his page like he committed and i i fucking loved his interview we said like i gave it my all for those guys like um even in those movies you know um and, but with that what we've got gotten really for me since mom and dad um god damn like it's good to see and the fact that he's just embraced the fact that like look I, I may never do hollywood films again but i'm i'm doing something i'm in a corner of the film world that makes me happy and lets me yeah. do the kind of films i want and i'm sticking with that Plus, if Cage becomes, you know, if he's Glenn, then there's a good to fair chance Johnny Depp never enters Hollywood because this was his he wasn't planning on being an actor. He just ended up in this movie. Yeah. And then with that, like, yeah, Nicholas Cage gets disposable. Would we get something down the line like Mandy? Um, you know, unbearable way to mouth. You know what I mean? Like, would we get those films that we've gotten re- pig, you know, stuff like that? It's the ripple effect. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. We don't know. On <laughs> air. Uh, It'd be cool to kind of like count the trajectory. Like, you know, what happens if he does this? What logically happens next? Just kind of work your way up to now. Would, would I get to enjoy Con Air to this day without that horrendous Southern accent and beautiful lots of hair he has? <laughs> Cameron Poe. I don't Put know. The bunny back in the box. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That's always cool to think about. And number three. In the original script, the movie ended happily. Nancy kills Kruger by ceasing to believe in him. 
awakens to discover that everything that happened in the movie was a big ass nightmare. He says goodbye to her mom, drives to school with her friends. However, Robert Shea, producer, wanted a twist ending that would lead the way open for sequels. He suggested fooling the audience into thinking Kruger had been defeated, only to reveal in the final scene that he made it. That's a nightmare. And the film with Freddie driving the car away from the house and the kids screaming. Wes Craven hated this ending so much. And ultimately, four endings were filmed. Craven's happy ending, Shay's Freddie ending, and two versions of a compromise ending Craven and Shay had reached, in which Nancy's mother is pulled back into the house, but the audience is left slightly ambiguous as to what's going on. Craven has always maintained that the film should have had the happy ending he originally wrote, so he never got over this. No, it's, this is what led to a huge rift between those two that lasted a long, long time. Um, they, I remember they tried courting him back for three. He, he kind of, I think he briefly flirted with it, and then they essentially went with Frank Darabont to write it. Um, but then, like, I mean, he didn't come back. Like, the rift was so long, he did not really, really come back to write and direct another one until New Nightmare, you know? And yeah. that was after... I think like a lot of the other producers like, look, you and Bob need to sit the hell down and talk this shit out. And they, and they did. And, um, you know, they did it, but I think it went sour again because he never really worked for new line after that. I, I think I, I just, I get the feeling like Bob Shea for the most part is not a bad producer, but sometimes I've wondered if he's not exactly the greatest person at times. And I say this because of this and also watching the lost souls documentary, and some things he kind of said with that production, I'm like, I don't, I wonder if I was producing um, abilities. Isn't it weird that that happened on the big, on all, th- like the big three movies, you know, Halloween, Friday, and Elm Street? You know, on Halloween, you had Carpenter and Mustafa Akkad. On Friday, you had Cunningham and Miller. And then on Elm Street, you had Craven and Jay. How is it that that happened three times? <laughs> I, producers, man, they're not movie people, they see money. And they, they wanted to keep going. And I'm sure what Shay saw was Halloween and Friday. Because, I mean, well, Friday, because this was before we got Halloween 4. So he saw Friday come out. He saw what was going on with the slasher stuff and was like, hey, look, you know, Friday, they're on like their fifth, sixth film. They're so a huge hit. It was all these other slashers come out. Like, let's put a twist ending so then we can open it up for a franchise. So I actually kind of argue that thanks to the slashers is when we really, studios went from thinking one film only to we can make this shit a franchise not saying there weren't series obviously obviously like james bond and stuff like that before then it was there but it was more isolated i felt like whereas the 80s said like you i think you could argue like especially the 80s the mindset switched from like let's just do one film and move on and hey you better have ideals for more because if it's successful we can just make more and just keep reaping sequels and now we are at the point where we are now or that's the only safe fucking bet apparently um but yeah. Yeah, you're right. Thoughts. You can blame so, the 80s on that. Blame yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree. And then you see such the difference between like any other installment in the franchise and New Nightmare. And it makes you like really wonder if like Wes Craven, let's say he was a sellout, but he still kept his artistic sort of like really desire to make a good film. Like how that franchise would have looked if you know uh he was attached was- to yeah. Well, watch the Scream franchise. That's a franchise that they let yeah. him have his artistic vision and look how much that's lasted and how the quality stayed consistent. Um, I would say the Friday, uh, not Friday, damn it, the Nightmare series, the closest it got without Craven's involvement was Nightmare 3. Um, 
absolutely Nightmare 3, but I think uh, Frank Darabont wrote that one. That dude, apparently he may be, I heard he might be kind of a big asshole, but he's a great writer. <laughs> um, really good writer, and it shows in Nightmare 3. Um, and then after that, I'd, I'd say I'm kind of one of those, I've come around in Nightmare 2. I think there's actually a lot of good in Nightmare 2, but Nightmare 3 is the closest they got without Craven being involved to really achieving the first film's quality. Well, that's a great segue into our next segment where we're going to go through the sequels of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Pretty much, Caleb, like just what we did with Friday. Figure you're the you're the expert here. So lead us through the Elm Street sequels, starting with 1985's A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, so family moves into the house that uh, originally this took place in. Um, kids also have nightmares played by Mark Patton. Um, it has been, it, you know, at the time it released, it was a, a flop. It was caught out for being an extremely gay horror film, which at the time was a negative. Um, the director denied it vehemently for years. Um, and it, it luckily thanks to Mark Patton being, you know, and it caused him to move to Mexico at one point, he quit Hollywood. He moved out of America. Um, just, it, it got real bad. Um, luckily there's been a turnaround. It's been finding more love in the audience. A lot of time, like that aforementioned documentary has helped it out a lot. Uh, Mark Pan, you know, he's back. He is finally kind of, he's been having a turnaround. He's been in the festival circuit now. He attends events for Nightmare 2. He's, you know, he loves seeing the fans. He, and it's in the documentary, he has a sit down with the director and goes like, man, you can't stop denying it. Like, you're trying to tell me that wasn't, wasn't your intention. Like, it's so evident in the movie. Um. So he has a sit down and they have a talk and you get to see it play out. And it does it like, at least in on good note with them too. Um, with that said, I I've come around to it. It's like a uh, Christian mission earlier, the pool scene alone in this film. Uh, and it has the iconic line. You're all my children now. You know, like Freddie says like, it's, it's a great scene. It also had the thing. I remember you laughing your ass off on that one kid. I think you like throw something at Freddie and like the look he gave him, you died. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, I, I got to watch these again. Uh, next up, 1987's A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Uh, this is the most beloved sequel of a part of the entire franchise. Like fans eat this one up. I do too. Uh, we this time it starts kind of getting to the mythology that would kind of be an overriding thing throughout the rest of the franchise with the idea of like now they know about Freddy very much. They know the adults are aware of these streams and they send this, uh, these kids to an asylum. Uh, our main character being played by a young Patricia Arquette. Um, uh, so Craven's worked with Arquette's quite a bit for those you know that David yeah. Arquette is in the screen franchise. Um, but uh, gets into an asylum. What other kids are having issues are being, you know, given this medicine to suppress their dreams and stuff. And then lo and behold, who enters the picture to help out? But Nancy herself, Heather Lancaster, comes back to play Nancy and help these kids out because she knows what's going on, right? She survived Freddy once before. Um, John Saxon also comes back uh, for a very uh, neat arc. He, unfortunately, he is uh, he's a man not in good times in this one, but he has this heroic moment. And uh, yeah, this is a really fun film. They do add a little bit more humor, right? This is the one we hear, welcome to primetime, bitch. Uh, but to me, this was the perfect balance, I will say. It was that, yes, he was a little bit more comedic, but he was still scary. Um, so I, I love this film. This is a great sequel. 
Yeah, I know. I've heard this one. I, I got to stop watching all these movies in one day because I just I don't have any like dividers. I, I can't give you anything that I'm certain was in Elm Street 3. <laughs> That's how the one where like Freddy was a nurse, like a hot, sexy nurse, the mute kid. And then like, I think there's like a whole steamy sex scene. And then like he unveils himself and I was like, oh, oh, God. Yeah, he banged Freddy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I definitely have to see this again. <laughs> Next up, 1988, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. Yeah, so this one, um, it features the surviving members who quickly get killed off, of course. Um, and then he targets a new group of people. I actually kind of forget why he targets these people, because mainly this set of films really do bleed, because it's The Dream Warriors, Dream Master, Dream Child. Um, this is the one with Lisa Wilcott. No, Tuesday night. Oh, God, I'm fucking it up. But a uh, new group of people falling off. One of them was friends with um, the character from the prior film. And this has a famous scene with the kid with the damn nunchucks. <laughs> he does the karate moves with two and an invisible Freddy. You just, you just hear Freddy, but you don't actually fucking see him. And it's, yeah, it's, this is when like this, this is when they just were like, all right, we're going full fucking camp. And comedy and this is when i, I kind of fallen off so i was like okay um but still an overall okay film it still has a lot of good moments okay uh hey christian have you seen it have you seen these yeah yeah i have uh i think is this the one where the kid is like deaf and he like puts a cotton swab in his ear is it this one that's the next one that's okay yeah those two really like bleed in the most i think with this one is really redundant and they said they saw the success of the last one uh and they tried to really duplicate it and it just doesn't come off the same yeah yeah four and five really bleed where i'm like oh shit like those legit bleed for me I remember moments, but I forget the overarching plot. And that, like I said, it's the release of Wilcox on Tuesday night. That's our main character. I'm going to look it up right now. Actually, this is going to bug the living fuck out of me. Well, before we get into five, uh, there was 1988's Freddy's Nightmares, an anthology series hosted by Robert England as Freddy. Ran for two seasons until it was canceled in 1990. And it was pretty much like Freddy doing a shitty Twilight Zone. <laughs> uh Yes, it's. Uh, I haven't seen it. It is free on Tubi. So if you want to check it out, free on Tubi. And also Lisa Wilcox was four. So Tuesday night was part five. Um, Has there yeah, ever been like uh, a Blu-ray release of this? Like, have you tried to hunt that no. down? Uh, no, there has not. So, you know, there was this and Friday 13th, the series, right? Yeah. That at least got a DVD release. Friday 13th series does have an official DVD release. Uh, so they were able to clean that one up. Not Freddy's Nightmares, but... The issue with what happened with that show is they announced, you know, they did it. They were doing it hot, hot off the success of the, the peak of the franchise. And it, you know, when they put it out, we were time, it was like late on a Friday night, like late. So no one was watching. And then the studio was like, well, we got to slash your budget. So as it went on, they like, the, it was clearly getting cheaper because they kept slashing the budget for the show. Um, but it does have a cult following. You know, it's, it's um, like I said, if you try and check it out, you can check it out on Blaze. <laughs> Play discussing is a screen box uh streaming app you know the thing i i know i talked to you about it because terrifier 2 is coming to it i'm kind of pissed because <laughs> i don't have that i don't want to see that movie um 
but uh it's on that but it's also on tubi so if you want to give it a shot just as like an episode two just like i said if you want to just see the first episode directed by toby Hooper, it gives you more background on freddie himself mm-hmm. do that episode but it is on tubi if you want to give it a shot yeah maybe uh Speaking of, I might as well just let everyone know, um, if you have not seen A Nightmare on Elm Street and you would like to, it is currently streaming on Netflix. Just the first. The first one, the remake, and Freddy vs. Jason. That, those are the only ones streaming. Yeah. I mean, I have the Blu-ray set, luckily, so. I own a DVD of New Nightmare, and I have a Blu-ray of Freddy vs. Jason. Those are the only Freddy movies I have. I don't have the first one. I, did, I don't know why I don't have the first one. I just don't have it. I'm pretty sure All I right. have a new nightmare so, in Spanish. Oh, <laughs> right on. Yeah, completely like pirated, but something else. <laughs> the thing about hearing like Robert England's voice dubbed in Spanish is funny to me. Oh, the Pennywise in Spanish is the best thing ever. If you have never heard it, look up it in Spanish and it is hilarious. I will do that. <laughs> uh, 1989's A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Yeah, so they did the same thing where they brought the surviving cast members back from the fourth film, mixed them with new people. But this time, our main character that was played by Lisa Wilcox, but now is played by Tuesday Night, hence my confusion, because it's the same character, different actress. The whole Tommy Jarvis thing in Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, uh, she's back, her boyfriend gets her pregnant, and Freddie is trying to basically possess the child to get into the real world. So that's, he targets the child specifically. Um like I said, again, you know, it, it continues to do with the series. It's really upping the over-the-top deaths. Like uh, Chris pointed out, there's a comic book death uh, that happens. Um, there's the co- This has the, fam- the most famous one from it, the cockroach death when he eats her off the fucking pizza or whatever. Um, yeah, I remember she turns, to, she turns to like a cockroach and yeah, he kills her that way. Uh, it has one, actually one of the more underrated demented deaths where like that one chick that's anorexic, he forces her to keep fucking eating. It's it's a kind of a gnarly scene. Um, but like I said, it's not that great either. Why would Freddie want to come permanently into the real world? What, wouldn't that lo- make him lose all of his power? I think something about like he would retain his power this way. Nah, that's it was some is- weird expert. It's when like they were really trying to stretch like the lore. Yeah, is this they really, were, really, yeah, where they go into like his whole mom working at the, the asylum? And they go into, into like it this... more. Three yeah. brings it up, like three talks talks about it heavily. But again, I was like, okay, I can I can live with that. That works. Yeah, but like four and five is when they're like, all right, because it's when we can tell, like, we're just doing this with each, like, coming up with it as each film comes out. And it's like, all right, you're, you're losing me with the lore here. Yeah, this is like the kind of like the whole final boss scene where it's like the kid is like halfway possessed into Freddy and there's like a bunch of snakes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, it's weird. It's 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 okay. <laughs> well, wasn't the franchise low point? The first low point was 1991's Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare. This film sucks. <laughs> this is one of the worst <laughs> films I've sat through on more than one occasion, unfortunately. Um, it, it literally starts out with like Freddy, you know, mimicking Wicked Witch of the West. 
Um, we have our John Doe character who we think is it's hinted that he's the son of you know Freddy Krueger, and then it's found out he's not the son of Freddy Krueger. It's the psychologist who's the daughter of Freddy Krueger. Um, the they try going on this route with like there's no kids in spring in Springfield, Springwood, whatever. I don't know why I said Springfield. Uh, uh, but there's no kids in the town, and like the the people Roseanne Barr cameos because why not? Um, and uh, Tom honored because I guess Roseanne, why not? Um, oh my god, but uh, yeah, uh, America's power couple. (laughs) The adults are acting weird because there's no more kids because you know, Freddy killed them all, scared them all, what the fuck ever. Um, it has some of the worst deaths. This has the fucking power glove death. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, I beat my high Um, score. I remember that. Yeah. It does. The only death I actually remotely like is the deaf kid, and he's like messing with sound and stuff, and it's like it like bursts his fucking like that. That was actually pretty cool. I like what he was doing, like how Freddy's like oh, and like scratching the thing and getting louder and stuff. Like yeah, it's the overtop playful, but there's sort of a side of that dementedness to it that I like. Um, and then you know this has the fucking final ten minute 3D demon things that they have to defeat because they're what grant freddy his power and it's uh it's it's this movie's stupid it's so stupid it's so bad <laughs> I, i'm done talking about it okay fair enough 1994's <laughs> west craven's new nightmare this is when craven and bob shay temporarily got along and Craven came back to write and direct this one. And a lot of people call it Scream Before Scream because obviously it has that madness. It was made in the 90s. has that madness to it. Yeah. And this one is a... I'm with it. It's a fan favorite. I'm totally down with it. It was such a nice, fresh fucking thing we needed after the last couple of films. Um, pretty scary again. I like the idea of, like, this is the real world and these were the movies and they're playing themselves. You know, Harry Lincoln's playing herself, John Sykes playing herself. But as it's as the movie progresses, they're starting to regress back into their film characters. Um, yeah. the moment John Saxon's like, "Oh, what's going on, Nancy?" and he says her name, you're like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> um, you know, like it. Yeah, this this one's really really good. Um, weird enough, I don't go back to a lot. You know, I love it a lot. I don't know why, but it's this is a solid fucking entry in the franchise. And thank God, if you're talking original. Like I'm not including remake, <clears throat> remaking this original like franchise timeline. Thank God this is what they ended on, and not Freddy said. Thank fucking God. <laughs> yeah, this one's awesome. I yeah. this one freaked me out. I love the kills <laughs> in this. Like there was a when the VF the husband gets killed by the the, the claw in the car. I love that. Freddy like trying to eat the kid always freaks me out. Oh yeah, that's the, good... the babysitter death. God damn. How do y'all feel about like the updated look? Because I feel like that's a little contentious, at least from what I've seen. Um, oh, it's my, with it it's my of, favorite. It's my favorite really? Freddy. Like, I love the bone claw that it's like part of him now. The fit, the eyes, the face. I love the idea of a demon taking the form of Freddy Krueger to enter our world. That is such a cool concept. So I, I like that it right. wasn't Freddy. It was something that was trying to look like Freddy. So yeah, I, I'm down with the look. Yeah, I know. I've seen it online, right? There's they love to have their fucking debate. I like the look. I, I, cause it's actually, again, 
and this is why I love looking all this stuff up. So when people have these arguments, they're gonna be like, well, guess what? You guys are so violently against it and blah blah. This was the original look Craven intended for Freddy. This is how he originally intended. Really? I didn't know that. This is one this is one of the original designs they had for Freddy. So this is them actually kind of going back to the beginning. Creepy. I you think that would have been too much in 1984? You think that would have freaked people out too much? Probably. <laughs> so I'm just saying for those who are having the people, you know, oh, I don't like this looking. This is one of the original designs that he just brought back and decided to go with it because he had that freedom this time. That's cool. I wonder if it was also like uh I don't want to think it through too much just get get one of the old sketches we'll use that i yeah probably not but still i just love thinking about that i'm craven i love thinking about this was like <laughs> these giant moments of artistic like genius and in reality they're just like hey just pull one out of the file yeah. <laughs> yeah. i think we're cra- i say because it's craven probably not but if this was like cunningham without a doubt yes he'd be like i don't want to do that much work just pull up one of those sketches we have laying around yeah I don't want to do a different design every movie. Just go get a fucking, I don't know, a hockey mask or something. <laughs> ah, funny. Uh, that was followed by 2003's Freddy versus Jason, which we talked about last week from Jason's POV. So let's, let's talk about this as a Freddy movie. As a Freddy movie? So on the Freddy side, Freddy, the the parents have wisened up and done, like I mentioned earlier, just on a horrific day, have shipped their kids off to get them drugged and stuff in an asylum. And people have forgotten Freddy Krueger. And as we've established in the franchise, he needs people to remember him. That's how he, he continues going is that fear. So it's the, the idea, and I actually really like how the movie does this. It's the idea that they don't fear him anymore, so he has no power. And the idea is that he has to get his power back. So he invades the, the dreams of Jason Voorhees, convinces him in a very one-sided uh, arrangement, because only one can talk. Um, to do the killing for him so people remember him, right? The the deaths in his name, people remember him, he gets that power back. But things go sideways because Jason likes to kill quite a bit also. And now he has to change it to, I got to get rid of this motherfucker. And that's when we have the big showdown. Yeah. I, 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 I wonder if that's how it was pitched. Like you just like exactly what you just said, because that was a good pitch. Well, I remember they did like a whole weigh-in and everything. And it's like, yeah, this is me, like the pay-per-view event. And Robert England is like in character talking shit. And it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I have it. It's on the Blu-ray. It's a special feature of their like WWE event they did. Where yeah. They like weighed in and Robert England's talking because they're in the all like Ken Kersinger is in the Jason outfit. You know, Martin's in his Freddy outfit and you know, Kirsten just standing there stoic and crying and Freddy's just talking shit the whole time. Well, you know, Jason doesn't have to talk shit because he is a man of action. As we saw in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, the, orig- the original ending, like, they were, they intended to have hell, uh, Pinhead show up and drag him to hell to, like, I- see this through, but they didn't want to have to pay for Pinhead, so they cut that. Cheap bastards, but, I mean... I like that they just keep it Freddy versus Jason, but God, that would have been cool. That would have been so, so cool. The fight was going to be in a cage match in hell with like oh. Ted Bundy and like John Wayne Gacy, <laughs> yeah. like watching. Can you imagine, right? Because we live in a world of cinematic universes and the, the obviously the fan reception that like things like No Way Home and stuff get or Endgame, you know, when you finally hear after 11 years Avengers Assemble, right? Yeah. Can you imagine if like they had actually been able to build this thing up and just keep making like this in universe like horror 
icon universe and like let's say we're getting it right you're in the theater with a crowd everyone's pumped and they're doing it and in the distance you just hear the rev of a chainsaw off screen <laughs> and the audience losing their minds letter face enters the picture to fight and is immediately killed because he's just a fat guy I think in the world of like fan service, that definitely needs to happen. I think in the point in time we are, I think we can all be adults and recognize, like, okay, now this is not for everyone, but I think like slasher horror like really deserves that. I would love that, but that would require multi studio cooperation. It, and nope, yeah. it's <laughs> never going to happen. But yeah, I would say like of any subgenre that deserves it, it's the slasher subgenre because it's the the main subgenre. Like I think up through like horror comedies and stuff like that, right? But they're asking for you to go see it as a big with a big audience and just have a good time. Turn your brain off, have a good time, enjoy these over the top. That's enjoy your icons doing what they do. You know, everyone's smiling and laughing. So if any subgenre should do it in horror, it's like it should be slasher. But like you said, so many different studios own different things that's never going to happen. But it's a cool pipe dream to think about, especially in my head because I would lose my shit if I watched Freddy versus Jason like. You just hear a chance on the off screen. I'm like, well, thankfully, we've got you know, like comics, you know, we can see like you know, Batman versus Alien and shit like that. So we do get we get we get that, and that's that's always, yeah, nice. yeah. And we did get Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, but for some reason, they let it go out of print, which still pisses me off to this day. Eh, doesn't unless matter. you're like, well, unless you're like what you did, and you pay $150 to shut your goddamn mouth. <laughs> Most of us don't get the joy of it. I yeah, I stumbled onto a copy of Freddy versus Jason versus Ash at uh, Half Price Books in Round Rock, and I I didn't have money for it at the time, so I waited. And then like six months later, I went back and they still had it, and I was like, "I'll take one, please." And I walked out, <laughs> and I was so happy. You know what? I, I got re- I got happy recently because for my Fangoria subscription, um. You know, they call it volume two, right? Issue, blah, blah, blah. Because it's the revival of the magazine. Mm-hmm. I, I subscribed too late and never got in on that first issue. So I have two through the current one. And it was bugging me. But because on eBay, people in America are assholes and charge over a hundred <laughs> bucks. Like, what's well, out of print? I'm like, fuck you. I recently found one over in the UK for the greater British, uh, great British pounds of 67 pounds, which I did the math was below a hundred American dollars. And even with the added $15 shipping and handling, still below $100. Got it. Just got it in the middle this week. So now I have a complete <laughs> set. Nice. And I'm so that happy. Awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. Now for some... So I, bad- I get it. I understand your, I understand your happiness. <laughs> now for some bad news. 2010's A Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake. <laughs> oh, so, God damn it. Okay. Um, so like I said, Platinum News was on a high... Because they were like, dude, we gave you Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We gave you Friday the 13th. Guess what we're doing next? Not Halloween. Rob Zombie beat us. <laughs> <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I wasn't expecting the laugh as you were drinking. <laughs> but uh, so they gave us Nightmare on Elm Street. But then they went, we're not working on Russ Craven. I was like, you fucking morons. Um, and what we got was the a, a terribly written, terribly directed um, movie with the untried. Well, I, I won't say that. Kyle Garner. I won't shit on that guy. He's been a a guy I've watched in the horror world since I was a kid. I really like him. I just this was not a good pick for him. Um, he does try though. 
Um, and like I said, I'm not on the positive side. I'm not taking anything away from Jackie or Haley's performance. I think his performance is great. I'm tired of people saying he's shit. I'm like, no, his writing was shit. He was good. Give respect for respects to you. God damn it. Or credit where credit's due. Um, with that said, this is horrendously written um, from the micro naps that they don't make sense. Like I said, the whole, like, he is a child molester. Child molester. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. We don't I'm gonna tell you. Like, um, the whole goddamn movie. Um, horrendous CGI. Like, effects in 84 hold up, and the effects in 2010 don't. Um, and then Rooney got, or as people like to call her in this movie, Snoozy Mara. Um, because she is sleepwalking this thing because apparently she hates horror films. She made that expresses like explicitly known since the film's release that she doesn't understand the love for horror films. She hates them. She doesn't know why people watch them. And you know what? Rooney Mara goes stuff. Like, don't pick this movie then and pick something else you wanted to be in at the time. True. And this bombed. And that's the last we've seen of Freddie in quite some time. I I saw Jackie Earl Haley at a comedy show. I was um I went and saw Bill Burr. Uh, a few years ago with my uncle and uh, my uncle looked behind him looking just looking around and he tensed up and he elbowed me and he's like dude Rorschach's behind us <laughs> and I'm like what and so I casually was like you know looking at the bar and I look behind me and I'm like holy shit Jackie Earl Haley's sitting behind us <laughs> and I didn't say anything because I'm like you know he probably doesn't want to be bothered you know he's at, he's having a night out but I was like holy shit I before Shaq, Freddy Krueger was near me at a comedy show, so I was like, "Cool!" So I've held on to that. <laughs> I I would personally, if I might be like, "Hey, look, I know the movie was a great man, but I really like your performance in in Nightmare on Elm Street because I do. I really like what he does, you know. And I I really hate that the fan base was so fucking like it's not Robert England and blah. And I'm like, he he can't play it after so long, guys. Like, and I get it. And I know we, I talked about earlier, you know, yes, he is tied to this character. He is iconic because of this character. He's, he's really good in this character. But, like, like, like calm down. Like, let someone else t- take a stab at it. And I really do think Jackie O'Haley did a great job. He just wasn't handing a good script. I think a lot of his dialogue was actually pretty good. The way he delivered it was really good and creepy. I just no, think his makeup effect looked like shit. And, yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I wanted to bring up was, like, his voice is spot on for this. If there's any other person that could have, like, pulled out Freddy, it's definitely Jackie Haley. And I think that um, where it really just sucks is, like, you're never, as the audience, like, with the first Nightmare, like, Wes Craven does such a good job of, like, that line between reality and, you know, like, the dreams of the movie, like, that was so blurred with this movie. Like, I think it's, like, the like, the lighting, like, the whole it's very much that same like remake horror movie remake lighting and sort of feel uh, that it just feels like a cash cow, especially with like the effects. Like you're not able to, you know, whether it's like, you know, as much as Freddy is like the, him just existing and his interactions with the characters makes the first nightmare, like the effects in the background really sells you. And like with it mm-hmm. looks so bad, you cannot get into the movie as like the audience. Yeah. And like, there's plenty of the lines I actually I do remember from Jack Girl that I like a lot. There's like the whole thing where like he tells the guy like, you know, when we disconnect your head from your body, you have like this much time still alive, which means we have 
five minutes to play. And then the way he draws it out and does the laugh, it's fucking creepy. Um, you know, the, the whole supermarket scene when she falls, has her micro nap, as they kept fucking calling it. God, it really bugs me, the micro nap thing. Um, it was like, you don't need to explain this. Just God damn it. Um, but, you know, when he comes up and he like, he swipes the shit off the fucking the counter and he looks and he goes, wake up, like really loud, like, the guy is going for it, and I will not. I I stand by it. I defend the hill that Shaker O'Haley in this film. He goes for it, and he delivers. He keeps ending up giving amazing performances in movies that aren't very well received, and that's a damn shame because he's a <laughs> very talented actor. I I love his work, and I I want to see him in more. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like you said, everything unfortunately around him is terrible, and like I said, Rooney Mara's made it very clear she is not a horror movie fan at all. And you know, she's, of, she's married to Joaquin Phoenix. That's got to be a weird ass family. So weird. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> don't want to think about that too long. <laughs> but yeah, because she, uh, you can tell she's not trying in this movie. And I'm like, look, I don't care if you don't like horror films. And um, actually, this is timely because everyone's taking Ethan Hawke's fucking comment out of context that he said today. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if you've heard saw that headline today at all, either one of you. I but did. If you actually read the article, the headline takes it out of goddamn context. Um, but it hits what I'm saying. Well, I'm like, you're an actor, so fucking perform. Like, not to sound like Hitchcock, essentially. Dance for me, Dance. <laughs> Just you're you're paid to act, so do your damn job and act. Don't snooze your way through it. And then make it boring for me to watch. Like that's why I say, like, why? Why do you think I'm I'm defending Jackie O'Hay so much? Because he did his job. He acted. He gave it his all. And I, and he, because of it, I walked away going, "Hey, he was a bright spot in this movie." Um. So yeah, for those of you who don't know the whole Ethan Hawke thing, apparently, like you might be seeing headlines that go, "He only did Moon Knight to put food on the table." Yes and no. He was saying that no, the superhero drama not is his not his type of film. It's not his bag, but he is an actor that, that, you know, the job is, this is a job that's put a roof over his head. Like he said, food on his table. And so, you know, he was like, Hey, let me play in that sandbox for a little bit and give it a shot. Um, I guess that's, that's all it was. You tell me Ethan Hawke's the only actor in the MCU to take a gig for the, for the money. Tell me Robert Redford was there for the artistic like (laughs) expression. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, guys, why are we even say like, he did really good again. Right. Yeah. It's not his bag, but like, I, like I'm just saying he did his fucking job. He acted and gave me a really good villain in Moon Knight. And he said that he had a very entertaining, you know, he had a very good experience doing that and he was proud of it. So just fucking what happened to the Marvel fandom, man? They got so goddamn toxic. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. If anything, the only thing that made me roll my eyes and that when I read the article was when he claimed his 10 year old went, dad, what would Paul do? I'm like, okay, there's no way you're fucking 10 year old that insightful dude. Like, shut the fuck up. I don't understand you celebrities that have to have your kids be better than every other fucking peasant around you. Like, shut the hell up. They're fucking kids. They're not that insightful. Ah, well, on that. <laughs> Sorry, that's the only part I went. Okay, Ethan, let's come down there. Let's oh just, boy, let's take a step back. I, I give a Nightmare on Elm Street an eight. It's a great scary movie. Introduced the world to Freddy. Still holds up. Some of its technical work is very impressive. Uh, yeah, that's where I stand. 
this is uh this is probably another nine for me, honestly. This is one of Craven's best, one of horror's best, one of Slasher's best. You name it. This is just a great fucking horror film. It hits the ground running. Um, and honestly, the honestly, I'll be sure the only thing holding it back from a perfect 10 is the goddamn tacked on ending. So thank you, Bob Shay, for that one. Uh, um, besides that, yeah, this is a wonderful fucking movie and a it it it's it has stood the test of time for a good reason. Yeah. No, definitely agree with Caleb. Like this movie is it for me. It's definitely like well, the for at least for me, this is the best entry into any franchise, uh, especially like the slasher franchise. Um and so I think it's so strong in that. And then the ending just feels like a cash grab, like the whole car. I'll never get over the car. Like the whole movie, I can be there sitting in suspense and scared. The second that I see the Freddy car, it just like ruins it for me. Uh, and then like the vacuum sealed, like removal of the mom flying through the window. Like I hate that so much. Um, but no, this movie's iconic. I think it's always going to be iconic. Um it's crazy that it still, you know, stands the test of time and definitely one of those movies that, like, yeah, I can go back and always enjoy. If, if I have someone that isn't into horror, like, this is definitely one of the entry levels. Like, hey, you need, you don't need to know anything else about this movie. Watch it. Look at the effects. Look at this. And you'll appreciate it. Um, no, t- definitely, like, 9 out of 10. Nice. Very cool. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this one. I certainly did. If you like the show, feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can send us a message there or email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. Please check out our website, filmgasm.com, where we have reviews, articles, trailers of upcoming films, and every episode of our shows. If you want to support the show, you can click on support this podcast on your preferred podcast provider. We appreciate it. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We've reached the end of the gauntlet, 199 episodes of the Filmgasm podcast. Before I introduce what we're doing next week, I want to extend a gracious thanks to everyone who has been a part of this podcast, particularly my fantastic team of friends and co-hosts, Caleb Jay, Austin Johnson, Josh Allred, Colton Jenkins, Christian Aguilar, Julie Cervantes, Brianna Johnson, Adam Johnson, Jeremy Johnson, all of you have carved time out of your busy lives to join me in talking about my favorite thing in the world, movies. If you've done it once or done it a hundred times, I want to thank all of you for being a part of these past 199 episodes, as well as our other three shows. So I got you guys here. Thank you very much for being a part of this with me. Yeah. All right. The only regret I have is that I had to get COVID on the Terminator episode of the gauntlet and I had to sit that one out because I was dead sick that day. Yeah. Shit happens, but you know, we soldiered through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I know I'm a uh, new uh, to the team now, but it's definitely fun. I'm, I'm glad we, Kind of connected. I still have that Freddy keychain on my water bottle, so it's all coming full circle. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I would also like to thank anyone who has ever taken the time to listen to any of our episodes across the whole spectrum of Filmgasm Productions, the Filmgasm Podcast, Oscar Sunday, Beyond the Bad, the Sneak Preview, all of it. Thank you so much for giving a shit about what we have to say. <laughs> so here we are. Now to celebrate 200 episodes. We tossed around a lot of ideas. We wanted a movie that was big enough strong enough, epic enough to warrant a 200-episode placement. So, like the sexual tyrannosaurs that we are, we went with a movie that needs no introduction. A squad of commandos are sent to South America to take down Russian-backed guerrilla insurgents. What they find is an intergalactic hunter who has come to hunt the most dangerous game. The same week that the fifth film in this franchise, Prey, comes to Hulu, on our 200th episode, we are diving into Predator. 
Ah, damn, it feels good to say that. I can't wait. I know I was talking about earlier. I just ordered the 4K set that has all the films in the series. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting that. And because my Blu-ray is like one like an an old Blu-ray. I've had it for a long time. So I'm 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 happy to see this film again and revisit it in 4K, see how beautiful it looks. This is just this is one of Schwarzenegger's best fucking films. Oh, one of the greatest manliest films you'll sit through. It's one of the greatest of all time and a perfect film for us to, to do on our 200th. Uh, if all goes right, it'll be another Forgasm with myself, Caleb, Austin, and Colton uniting to discuss one of the most badass action horror sci-fi adventures of all time. I really wish Josh could be here too, but timing was against us. We can't exactly hold off the 200th episode till he gets back. Sorry. Yeah, he's, he's facing what I faced in 2020 slash 2021, which is a little thing called deployment. <laughs> Only brief where I get the whole team. There's always one person away for an extended period of time. It sucks. We are defending the country for you. All right. We're defending the freedom to do this podcast. <laughs> I can't keep a straight face going down this route. Oh, yeah. I was about to be like, you really? Is that <laughs> we really go in there? Oh, my God. You're all that stands between for... us and, and communism. Thank me, <laughs> Thank me for my service. God damn it. <laughs> Oh, boy. Join us next week for Predator and to celebrate 200 episodes. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, also, don't miss Endless Love on Friday's Beyond the Bad and Who Framed Roger Rabbit on Oscar Sunday. In the meantime, remember that dreams can't hurt you, except when they can, and keep watching movies. Keep watching movies.